0: What are we doing? Dropping some breaking news. Oh, that's What's crazy.
1: this breaking news, Josh?
0: Well, I don't want to give it away. However, we do have the best on, belt. Belt. <laughs> best on RS. Best on RS. Boom! Right in the center of the podcast. Hey, let's cable. cut to the chase. The party's coming back. Best on RS 2023 It's coming back.
1: It's happening, and it's happening big. Yep. You've been asking about it for three years. We're making it happen. We're bringing it back this year. SEMA 2023 Thursday night 9:30 Aria Hotel.
0: We're doing it. It's happening. It's really happening. Start hydrating. Oh, I thought this was practice. (laughs) So it's really happening. Oh, yeah. It's going down. Go to RoadsterShop.com to register for the best on RS competition. Top five. Get a
2: really badass thing that we want to not talk about. I don't know. It hasn't come together fully yet, but it is awesome. There will be five
0: of these things at the booth in SEMA, at SEMA, our booth, you can come by and see them. We'll the winner of those five will get. Let's face
2: it, the absolute best, the most coveted award, award in the hot rod industry yep. by far. Yeah, previous winners such as Scott from Sick Chops, Dave, can David Kindek,
0: David Kindig. Kindek, Kin yep. design and Mr. Kevin Dog. We're also bringing back Best on the Rest for anybody that has a badass car that stops us in our tracks that unfortunately or may or may not have a full chassis. Definitely not on a roadster shop chassis, other suspension, other items. We want to, you know, we got some great customers out there. and There's a lot of cool stuff out there that we like and want to, you know, include in
1: the uh, atmosphere that we're putting together. And that's
2: just
0: something we're going to pick. We're
1: going to pick
2: three. At the end of the day, it's about having a kick-ass party with kick-ass people, bringing the hot rod community together. So even if it's not on a roadster shop chassis, we'll be out there hunting for what we think is the baddest car, not on a roadster shop, chassis, previous award winner, ring brothers.
0: Uh, yep. Yep. And, um,
2: got some heavy hitters out yep. there.
0: Absolutely. We're really happy to be able to bring the party back. We want, we had a lot of fun a couple years ago when we did the last one. We really want to say thank you to all of our customers, chassis, customers, car build customers, vendors, friends, Acquaintances, hot rod industry in general. For it's amazing how many acquaintances you'll have when you do like open bar <laughs> lots of acquaintances, yeah, like of good the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's awesome, it's yeah. pretty cool. Crazy. Uh, but yeah, it's it's we're fortunate to be in the position we are because of all you guys and the great customers we've got out there. So,
2: and it's all about yeah. hanging out, hanging out. We know the SEMA show when you're there, it's fast paced, you're bouncing around, you usually don't get too much of an opportunity to. Rub elbows and shoot the shit with your right. peers, and this is an all-night extravaganza. Very cocktails. Very short on we're the s- on the speaking and the program.
0: We're gonna we're gonna condense that. Uh, we've got a great, bigger, better venue place we've never been in before. It's gonna be awesome. May or may not be some celebrity sightings. Oh, you're gonna be there. Right? I heard Tim Strange might be there.
2: <laughs> yeah. Damn. Yeah you know there's a limit how many people can come right i know start throwing that out there dude it's <laughs> oh boy
0: uh go to com. register for the best on RS.
2: looking forward to seeing you guys out there
0: not if i see you first
2: yeah <laughs> let anybody into this place huh
0: <laughs> this is where all the oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, all right honestly this is going to sell out so you better act fast this is this is the co- most coveted award. However, the event that it is given out at is it's an award in itself. It's it's probably one of the, it's the go-to place. I mean, let's there's a lot of cool things to do in Vegas. Thursday night, November 2nd, 930 at ARIA.
2: Probably be the coolest thing you can do. Yep. Let's face it. You're at SEMA. Everybody's bouncing around from casino to casino, trying to make your way up to the bar, trying to find out where guys are at. This is where they're going to be. This Best is the on place. RS party. This is the place to be. And I'm looking forward to see who leaves it all in the field out there. There's always one. There's always one who leaves a lasting impression. Mike And a memory we can happen. never forget. So who's going to be that guy or girl?
0: I don't know. We'll have to see. Best on RS 2023, November 2nd, Thursday night, 930 at the Aria. Go to RoadsterShop.com right now. There's a button right there on the main page. Click on it to get your tickets. Tickets are limited, register early. It's gonna sell out, it's gonna sell out. But, I mean, we can only do what we can do. You got to act fast. Roachershop.com.
3: Every time you pick up that chisel, you have to make that chisel do what you want it to. And so when you look at my work, what you see is a recording in steel of how good I was that day right then at that second, because it doesn't matter all the stuff I've done up to that. The 44 years that I've worked at that make no difference on how that recording looks. It's got to be that recording. That's good. You you understand what I mean? I do. Yeah. And so if I'm not on my a game and if I'm not doing my best, I mean, it's going to suck.
0: Welcome to Oil & Whiskey, and Ironclad Original. I am Josh Henning. I'm Phil Gerber. I'm Jeremy Gerber. Welcome to Oil & Whiskey, an Ironclad Original. Today's guest is third-generation master engraver and owner of American Scroll, Inc., Weldon Lister. One I think we're all super excited about.
2: I'm pumped about this one.
0: Yeah, it's going to be good.
1: Probably one of the most talented dudes been on the podcast yet.
0: And there's been some talented ones. Weldon Lister, welcome to Oil & Whiskey, man.
3: Hey, you're here, guys.
0: Welcome.
3: Great to be here. Good to see you all. Um, sorry for the technical stuff. Uh, my son had to bug out early today, and uh, he's the guy who knows how to run all this stuff. So <laughs>
2: He left you to fend yeah. for yourself? Yeah,
3: right. <laughs> like, dude, no, don't do that. Anyway, uh, I made it this far, so must be doing something right.
2: Awesome. Well, man, it's an awesome. honor to have you on here. All three of us are big fans of your work. Ever, I've been well, following. I've been following your Instagram for years. And Josh sprung it on me that we were going to have you as a guest on here, which has caught me by surprise because that's that's awesome, pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah pretty awesome. <laughs> Thought you were out of our Bye. league.
3: <laughs> I appreciate that. You're way too kind, but thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Great to be here. I know you guys have um, had some heavy hitters on your podcast, and it's an honor for me to be here. You must be dredging the bottom of the barrel to get down to my level. (laughs) I don't know about that. Hey, I sincerely appreciate it, you know? So, yeah. Well, I'm going
0: to get it out of the way now as I'm I'm going ahead and predicting that we're not going to be able to get through everything in one podcast. So we're going to have to. I'm sure we're going to have to end up doing this again in the near future because there's A tremendous amount um, just me talking to you uh, back and forth over the last few months Whatever that I learned and then started doing some my own research and digging in there's stories that go on I mean quite frankly back to what the 40s and 50s that uh, you could tell about your dad and stuff and I think there's a lot of people out there that may or may not even know the story of so yeah yeah there's gonna be a lot
3: yeah yeah there's a lot of rabbit trails to go down for sure and
2: we're gonna we're gonna have to focus in we gotta hone in here. We don't have to. We yeah. can just go down all the rabbit trails and see where <laughs> they go. Meander. Yeah, yeah, I don't
3: know whose job it is to keep us on the rails, but uh, you got your work cut out for you. Yeah.
0: There's no staying on any rails, man. This is just this is just a, a walk through the forest. All right. Yeah. Um With? so obviously, I guess the good segue is you're most well known for your firearms engraving, which be, yeah,
3: that would be correct. No,
0: no. <laughs> no bullshit not because you're here I everybody's got their own look in, in engraving I think the way you do it what you do and your look is my favorite 100%. it's my absolute favorite your style you can tell a weld Lister gun and when you see it and you can just automatically tell and I that's my favorite there's a lot of guys out there that are super talented and and women they're super talented and everybody's got a little different style you know and the cool stuff but for some reason am grab and and drawn to and I gravitate towards your style that being said where did that come from
3: well I appreciate that first and I think you know as artists I think we all uh you know something that you kind of aspire to is developing a style that is identifiable as yours and uh i I don't know that I necessarily did that on purpose. It just sort of happened, and I guess it's just an expression of who I am, and it comes out mm-hmm. in that way. I, uh, I learned how to engrave from my dad, and I'm a third generation in my family. And so uh, as a young teenager, really, I uh, I had this thing happen. a person said uh, to me, if you don't learn how to do what your dad does, one of these days he's going to be gone, and you will always regret it. And I was 17 at the time. And I guess I had a bucket list. I don't even know if we knew what that term was back then, but, uh, you know, I, I guess I had one. And I thought, well, what would I do if my dad suddenly wasn't here? And, you know, I couldn't do that. So I thought, well, I'll get around to it, you know? And that gave me some motivation to go to him and ask him if he would teach me how to engrave. And his words, his answer was profound. He said, I'll show you everything. I know what you pick up will be up to you. And I thought, (laughs) all right, well, that, that sounds pretty cool. I said, so when do we start? Well, we started in August of 79 and I was 17. And uh, by October of 79, I cut my first gun, but this is a long uh, roundabout answer to your question. And so where did that style come from? And so initially the first style that I began working with under his direction was a style called American scroll, and it was based on, uh, it was sort of a an adaptation of a style made common and famous by L.D. Nimsky. Starting Nimsky worked from 1854 to 1904, and so he spanned the black powder period into the percussion period. And so he's sort of the, the grandfather of this style and. I'll pause right there and say that, you know, as artists, and you you guys are artists as well, and in the things that you do and what you build, but none of us really invented this. We're kind of standing on the shoulders of the giants that went before us. And so for me, it was looking at this work of Nimsky and under my dad's direction, you know, here's a scroll. This is what makes it up. And here's what we do. And so, that's the first style that I started learning with, and of course, since then I've branched out and do a lot of other styles as well. But it's the one that I started with, I'm most comfortable with, and probably have studied more than any others. And so, in learning how to do that, I guess I sort of put my maybe spin on it and develop that you know this kind of the way I do it kind of thing, and I guess that's what makes it look like me when you see it and uh, it's not I don't like I say you know I said this earlier I don't think I started out to go you know I've got to make a style that's all my own and that's mine it just kind of evolved into what it is after uh, a lot of time and uh, this is the way I see it I guess. And so as artists, I think one of the the things that you do is you want to try to get what's inside of you in your head and in your vision and all that out onto the canvas that you're working with. And I don't think it matters what kind of art we're talking about. We all have that vision and, and we want to see it come into reality. And so how do we get that onto the canvas that we're working with? And
0: you said third third generation, so your grandfather was the one that taught your father.
3: No, uh, my dad's uncle. Okay, he taught him jewelry engraving. This is back in the '40s, and so that was with um, a push graver, uh, a little ball vise that sits in a leather collar on a jeweler's bench. And if you've ever been to an old school jeweler's uh, shop, you might have seen a guy that was doing that. You know, you have a tool in your right hand, and uh, I forget where the camera is. So I'm, looking at myself and okay, here are my hands. <laughs> yeah, hey. good, yeah. So, yeah, so you're turning the work into it with a push graver, which is um, a- an excellent way to do it, but it's sort of difficult, especially to cut those deep styles, using that palm graver. And so uh, in the German and European school of engraving, uh, they use a hammer and a chisel. So they take that chisel that's held over here, put it in a longer handle, and hold it in your left hand, and then drive that chisel with a hammer in your right hand. And so uh, dad learned how to do the jewelry style engraving. And then uh, in the early sixties, he met an old German engraver just by chance, but this this guy was going blind. And he said, I can tell you what you need to do. And he didn't see so well anymore, which after engraving for 40 something years, I understand, you know, (laughs) your eyes get used a lot every day. And uh, so he told him, you know, drive that chisel with a hammer. You can cut that gun steel that way. And so once Dad found that out, he was off to the races and, you know, adapted to that style. So, yeah, it was my dad's uncle that taught him the basics of it. And he expounded upon that. And then here I come. And uh, as a kid, uh, probably from five or six, I grew up in a shop, you know, with him doing that and working alongside other engravers in a shop in San Antonio. And, uh, so for me, it was kind of a, you know, I guess our, our dads all did something and we probably thought, well, that's just what my dad does. It's not like a huge thing or, you know, any big deal. It's just, you know, kind of what your dad does and it's okay. And so for me, as a kid, I grew up in that shop you know, on school vacations and holidays and stuff. And I would see these guys, I would walk by my dad's vice and say, Hey, what are you working on? And he would show me a little bit. I would look at it and go, Oh, okay, cool. You know, and then I'd go out and play or do whatever I was doing. So it's kind of a normal thing for me, you know, oddly enough.
0: (laughs) Back in the, uh, in the sixties and seventies, when your dad was doing uh, so much of it, was that, uh, like single action army stuff or cowboy matches, shotguns, what was he predominantly doing?
3: Yeah. So back in, in that time, and the reason he went to work for the shop in San Antonio, um, the guy who ran that was Frank Hendricks and Hendricks was a, uh, internationally acclaimed master engraver just happened to be in San Antonio. And, uh, so Frank had, um, several contracts for engraving, uh, production wise, uh, and so commemorative series, it had, you know, all the same pattern and all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of them. Well, the one that got my dad involved was the Texas Ranger commemorative. That was, um, it was a Colt single action and it was uh, produced by Colt for a couple of guys, one guy from Texas, one guy from Georgia, but they were both Texas Ranger lovers. And so they put this commemorative together and it's a thousand guns altogether, but the first 200 were shipped in the white, which means no finish. And they were designated for engraving. And so that's where my dad came in because this Hendricks obviously couldn't handle this on his own. So he needed help and my dad ended up engraving 136 out of those 200. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So it was on old guns like that. And, and at the time, um, you know, you always hear, when you think about engraving, somebody says, oh man, it's a dying art. Well, back in the 50s and the 60s, it actually was a dying art because, you know, what we're doing right now was impossible. There was no Internet. There was no Google. There was no resource of information, no no YouTube or anything to look at. And so you had books, which behind me on the shelf, I've got a lot in uh, reference material. you know you couldn't look at it so who who was it that were having guns done it was guys that collected guns you know sportsmen you know that kind of thing and uh most of them were old uh single actions winchester lever actions uh some shotguns stuff like that and uh yeah so that's that's that
0: i just want to add this is i know it's been covered by People all over the place. Everybody's got their own theories. I don't think anybody has the exact reason. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts on why, for for de- for generations, um, we have all felt the need to embellish weapons. Every society, um, I mean, you go back through, I mean, English shotguns, I mean, all the way back to medieval times. I mean, from a sword, you would think that there was times in our history that, You were probably worried about more important things than maybe embellishing your sword, like maybe using it or stuff like that. But it's, it's, (laughs) that's an interesting, it's funny how it's always, I mean, through all generations, there's been societies that have been fascinated with embellishing whatever that weapon be guns, knives, swords,
3: whatever. Something that's
1: supposed to be a tool that you're turning into a piece of art.
0: Yeah. And then still using like a tool. Exactly.
3: Yeah. It's, uh, it's functional art. And, uh, So even in Bible times, uh, there's talked about in the Bible, uh, people who had that skill of engraving and embellishment. And when when God gave instructions to make the tabernacle, which was the first uh, sort of a temple that the Hebrews had, there were directions on how things were to be embellished. And so it was ceremonially done for that, you know, back in Bible times. And so I think from the time that we were you know, making any kind of a tool or a weapon, you know, there was some guy there that was going, hey, look at this, you know, I can kind of <laughs> jazz this up. With. And so if we went out and we did a, a raid on some, you know, village or whatever, or the whoever the enemy was at the time and came back, well, we might want to, you know, give something really nice to the guy who was the leader of the group and, and all that. I don't know. I mm-hmm. mean, it's a funny thing within us that wants to do that. And so it's, you're right, it's been done, um, you know, since we had weapons and weapons are embellished. Suits of armor are fabulous. When you go back and look at, at suits of armor made, um, you know, 1600s, 1700s, and you look at those and I know how to do what I do pretty well using the techniques that I do. And I look at some of the stuff that was done then and I'm like, man, that's pretty killer for back then. Going back farther, you look at stuff that's come out of tombs from Egypt, and you look at the granulation techniques that were done on some of the ceremonial daggers that were made out of gold. And you look at it, and you're going, well, that would be really hard to do right now, <laughs> let alone. Those guys, man, those guys didn't have any electricity or lights or you know all the fancy stuff that we have. They don't have CNC mills or laser engraving or anything. This was a dude doing it all totally by hand.
0: They and, had a lot uh, more time on their hands, though, too. They didn't have pretty, any other distractions. That's one guy's <laughs>
1: life. Not
3: just yeah, doing that. Yeah, you know, they had 24 hours in a day, but their day was not filled with uh, social media and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, they did have probably a longer span of time to use. But it's awesome to look at some of that stuff and and just see the craftsmanship that went into it and what it took to make it
0: yeah it's it's a it's fascinating to me when it comes to i guess weapons specifically because that's you know kind of what we're into i mean we're obviously making a living embellishing and making vehicles better you know we make them look good we make them work better we make them stuff like that
2: unfortunately our right. like vehicles we don't have inspiration or roots back to the Bible, like we're just no, we no. chop it up. You know, <laughs> yeah. I guess it's, but, yeah, that it. That looks kind of curious cool. back into yeah. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of. it's
0: it's way more, I guess, understandable, mainstream, acceptable. You don't have to like question why do people customize cars? You just right. always have ever since there was cars, people were customizing them. You know, yeah. but when you look right. at the, I mean, English shotguns, for instance, like that <laughs> that whole genre, industry, businesses, large companies revolve solely around building the most beautiful, finely crafted shotguns that there ever was, you know, and it's, they obviously work, you know, and they work really well, but their entire company's existence is the most finely fit and engraved and embellished and the woods and the stuff like that. I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for shotguns and stuff. And it's, it's just intriguing to me that, you know, for, like you said, a tool, you know, to... It
1: does the same thing as a
3: $20 Walmart special. Yeah, <laughs> yeah to,
0: to have to, you know, the... Yeah, it's just, it's wild.
3: Well, I think there's all, you know, there's all level or strata of, uh, of people. And so you got the guy that's the utility grade guy and, you know, he wants something that works and doesn't care what it looks like. And then you got uh, guys that are the captains of their industry and they want something that's nice, and they can afford it, and they understand what that English company is doing, how long it takes to get one, and why it it costs as much as it does. Because their guys sitting there hand fitting all those parts, uh, it's hours and hours of work. It's a bespoke gun, which means it's made for you to your dimensions and shoots the way that you like to shoot, and so. You know as guys get more successful they want finer and finer things and some people's um you know even though they can afford it some people there are a group of people who don't like it and it doesn't turn them on but for the guy that has the financial uh wherewithal and the appreciation it's uh, um, that's a guy who gets that kind of stuff and it's amazing. You know, it's like watches and well, I was right. going to, you know, while you were talking, I was thinking about cars too. Well, there are cars that go from point A to point B and what's the purpose right. of having. Right. And so, you know, and it's the same in the gun world, you know, cause in cars, you can look at certain designs and you go, man, that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. You know, that just disgusting, but it functions. It'll take you to work and take you back. It looks like a piece of junk and it's always going to be one. But then you look at some and you go, God, that thing looks like it's going 80 miles an hour sitting still because it has lines, it has design, it has the look. It just says something to you. Guns are the same way. You know, you have a utility grade gun, you know, yeah, it functions as a weapon or a sporting piece or whatever. But then you look at another one and you're going, oh man, you know, man, that thing has just got the lines that just make it be beautiful, man.
0: I guess it all comes back down to basically just nature and the the animalistic side of us or the you know from everything we've always got to basically peacock and everybody's got to show like that's exactly yeah. what it is i mean you got to think oh, even is. from yeah. the lions and tigers the one that's got to have the either the craziest beard or the most scars or the ones that's you know fought the most or whatever and some people, it's you know their gun collection. Some people, it's their fancy car. Some people, it's their jewelry, and it's always just showing in in their pack where they're where they're at in their pack.
2: Yeah, for, yeah, me, it's- for me, it's the artistry of it too. Like you've got, so I've got a handful of guns. I have an engraved Henry rifle, and mm-hmm. what is that, forty four forty? That old like shoots those cowboy rounds, and yep. that thing is cool, right? It's you know <clears throat> brass engraved, just. And you just like looking at it, right? It seldom do I get out and actually shoot it, but you, you don't, you're, you're not sitting around the house and like pull out a plastic Glock and just stare at it in awe of, wow, what a beautiful piece of craftsmanship. But yeah. that's a particular, you just love looking at it, holding it. I mean, I've probably ran 10 rounds through it in five years, but right. man, do you like to look at it? And it's the same with you know, watches and all that stuff. That's just the artistry. How did somebody craft that? It's, it's mind-blowing. Some of that stuff. The appreciation. Yeah, you you get so much enjoyment out of that and discouragement too, because you look at it and you're like, I'll never be able to do that. But this guy, (laughs) this guy did, and it's awesome. Is this time to tiptoe
1: into your engraving?
2: Yeah, we we can. So I've admired (laughs) your work forever, right? And it's so inspirational, but at the same time, man, does it make you like instantly defeat you? Because for me, we build cars at a very high level. So you like to do things at a high level. And when I l- look at what you do, I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to do it just like that because I'm, I'm so fascinated by engraving. So I decided, uh, this was maybe four or five years ago, I was going to take a class because there's just way too much to digest to, to try that on my own. So I took a Ray Covers, I think his name Cover or Covers?
3: Yeah, went out, Ray Cover. Yeah, yeah.
2: When I went out to Missouri, and it was a three- or four-day class. And, man, was that, like, just an eye-opener to just how difficult That is. right. So, but but it was neat because you look, you're spending the day, days looking through the microscope and it looks like what you're making is awful. It just looks terrible. And I was so discouraged the whole time until I like stepped back and took it out. And then you're like, oh man, to the human eye, that's That's actually, that's actually kind of cool, you know? But yeah, unfortunately I didn't stick with it and I think I've lost everything that, you know, I, I learned there, but while it gave me so much appreciation for the, the art of it, just thinking so much more goes into it, like sharpening the gravers and how you do everything before you even start engraving that Mm -hmm. it's, it's mind blowing to me what you guys do. And I'd like to pick it up again and, and try it and use it as a hobby, but I don't know that uh, maybe I'll find the time eventually.
3: (laughs) Well, that's what it takes. And you just got to want to, but you know, since you've done that and you tried it, you have a, probably a better appreciation now than you've ever had before when you look at stuff like that now you look at it from a different angle and you yes. kind of able you're able to look at it from the inside out and i remember when i was a kid you know in my dad's shop looking at engraving and i just saw the overall thing because i had no basis of understanding on how that happened and so now you know I, I look at it and i see it from the inside out i see everything and so Sometimes I see it too closely, and which is what you're talking about with the microscope. When you have a myopic view of something that's made to be viewed in the hand as a, an entire piece, it, it doesn't look like it should because you're too close to it. So you got to back up, take a look at the overall picture. And uh, uh, something else Josh said earlier, you know, was like the lion in the tribe, you know, with all the scars and all that kind of stuff and uh you know your cars that you build and the guns that i do uh what what i strive for it well, go back to the lion you look at those scars and you go this guy's got a story it, it, you know he's got character you know he's not brand new he's not spotless and shiny he's been through it and it shows but he's on the other side you know what i'm saying yeah. so he's got a story I want my work to look like that. I want it, even though it's done right now today. I want it to invoke in the viewer something about uh, that it, it wants to tell a story to you. That it has some character. That it wasn't bought at Walmart or you know produced at the plastic factory, like my dad used to say. You know, you don't want them looking like they were pumped out down at the plastic factory. You know, <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I get it. And so, and, and for people that want a Glock. I, want, I have a Glock, and I want my Glock to work, and I'm glad that it does, you know? Because if I need it, I'm pretty sure it's gonna work, right? Sure. I never look at it, you know, because right. it's like, so what? I like looking at those old guns that have character, or you want to know, man, if that gun could tell you the story of its life and what it's been through, you know? And so the p- pieces that I produce, I want them to, to have that sort of uh, vibe to them. Well, it's, it's you
0: interesting. It's interesting you say that because they also, when you do what you do and other artists do what they do, it now, it doesn't become another really nice looking cult government model, right? It, mm-hmm. They become characters. They become one of one. They become their thing. They have a personality. Yeah. I mean, I, I see that pair of cult government models that you did mm-hmm. that still to this day are the best looking ones. And you see them pop up, and you see them other pictures, and you see, that's just, those are like two characters. Those aren't two cults anymore. Those are those are the Weldon Lister pair of guns. And I I see them all the time, and I think about like where are they at now, and what's the story? Like you said, they've got. They've got a story. They've got they've been places. I want to know where they are. Like seriously, like you're, where that, are they are? That's at, because right?
2: you're hoping that somebody <laughs> fell in hard times and had to pawn them. It's exactly what I want. You're, you're going to get a hold of them.
3: Right? <laughs> you know the funniest part of that is the guy that I initially did those for. Now he sold them. I don't know where they are now. But the <clears throat> the guy, the collector, I did those for, was going to use those as his uh, concealed carry pieces. Wow. I, I told him. I said, dude, don't do that. He said, why not? I said, this guy lives either in New York or Florida, right? He's got the right to carry in New York, which you can't do, you know, but he can. I said, dude, you're gonna be in New York, you're gonna pull, you're gonna pull that gun out to look at it and you're gonna get in trouble. Don't <laughs> carry those because you can't not look at them. So anyway, he uh, he said, you know, you're right. I don't think I better do that. And uh, so he... Uh, he kept them privately and then went through a, uh, a divorce and had to sell. Them. So don't that's know where they are now. Bummer. Right?
0: Yeah. That's for, if anybody's listening, knows where those guns are at.
1: <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. DM <laughs> Send us, Josh
0: a right? DM. Yeah. <laughs> really would like to know.
2: It's, it, it, I mean, man, they were tr- Josh just pulled them up here. We're kind of glancing at some stuff. We've got like some, sort, technical some technical difficulties. difficulties. We can't pull them up on the big screen, but it's,
3: I know man, where those it, guns were made. I know where they were done. Yeah. Uh, so don't worry if you can't find them,
2: <laughs> you know, a guy,
3: yeah, I know. A
0: <laughs> I know you. Yeah. Yeah. You.
3: What kind of
2: hours are in something like that? Like to do a complete 1911. How oh, long does it take you?
3: If you ever, if you ever get that picture up where you can look at those, I think, um, yeah, I can got- tell you days wise, I think it, it was like 40 some odd days on the first one. Wow. And then 38 on the second one. Uh, second one little went a little faster because I knew what I was doing in, uh, uh, in the design and layout, um, which is a really important part of engraving. And so um, how that, how those patterns all fit on the area that you want, uh, how it looks overall, there's a lot that goes into the backside of engraving before you ever start working on something. And so with gun one, you know, I was designing it and putting it together and got it completed. Well, then in that span of time, he's like, man, I want another one just like it. I'm like, all right. So the second one was built off of the first one, if that makes sense. And so I had everything where I needed it to be layout wise. I will say that even on, you know, mass produced farms like that, there's a difference in size. And it's not a big deal until you're dealing in my world where everything is super tiny. And if it's, you know, uh, over the line too big, well, that doesn't work, you know, so you got to redesign. It. So you can't uh, always transfer everything off of one onto another one because of that. So,
2: and we just pulled them up on the screen in front of us. Unfortunately, we can't pull them up for the world to see, but yeah. that is undoubtedly the most beautiful piece of art that I've ever 100%. seen. It's, 100%. it's, it's, it's mind blowing. It really like we, we have some incredible people on here that build some unbelievable cars. And it's like you can digest like how to do that and other guys doing other things that's just one of those things that's mind-blowing yeah, You're like, wow. oh, you like well you
0: mentioned bucket list <laughs> at the very beginning and that's yeah yeah one day uh <laughs> w- going back to your yeah i want yeah one day yeah. um can start yeah. with a little swiss army knife or something yeah we just start <laughs> something small uh,
3: Start small work up that's
0: yeah. fine payment plan, plan or something <laughs> You talked about your dad teaching you and stuff. Do you remember, and we talked about Jeremy learning, um, you know, the basics. What was the first thing your dad started you out? Like lesson one, what is, and do you, do you approach this the same way if you're training somebody or teaching somebody? What was the first well, thing he said do?
3: Yeah, the first thing that he said to do, he had a, um, a steel plate, and like now you could go to Home Depot and get them. So it's just, you know, pole roll steel plate, six by 12. And he put that on a piece of uh, plywood put on with Bondo, which I'm sure you guys have heard of, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we use it a lot because Bondo is really cool for holding weirdly shaped parts or real thin parts or whatever. And so, um, you know, you've worked with it, you know how it is. And so, what we discovered is uh, that when you warm it up, it loses its grip. So, you can bid real weird parts in it that have all kinds of strange shapes warm it up to about 300 degrees and you can pop it right out. And so it leaves a cavity that looks pretty much like whatever it was. So he put there's the engraving tip for any engraving students that might be listening. Free tip. A lot of guys use different stuff. They use lock or whatever, and for me, uh that's what I learned how to use, what I like to use. It smells, you know, pretty funky when you mix it up, so uh
2: Smells like home to us.
3: <laughs> yeah, actually, me too, because I started smelling that when it was about 5 or 6. It might be what's wrong with me, you know? I smell too much Bondo being mixed with the whole gun parts. But uh, but anyway, so he put this piece of steel on on his plate, and then he drew a, a scroll design on there. So it's just a big scroll and then some little uh, tapering finials off of that. And then he uh, did the shading on it. He did all the parts that make it be what it is, the background and all that, right? He said, okay. So he had me watch him do that. And he said, now I'm going to show you how to transfer. And so we're pretty old school. Long time ago, they would use lamp black, which is like a the soot off of a lamp. And you soot, uh, put you know the soot on whatever it is that, that you want to transfer. And then you could put a piece of paper carefully on there and pick that design up that way more into modern times when tape started becoming available. You could pe- take tape, lift that design off and place it somewhere else. So now, uh, we use fingerprinting. And so fingerprinting is a great transfer, uh, medium, I guess. And so he put fingerprinting all over that design, took some scotch tape, put it on the design, lifted it off and then set it on the corner of that plate. said okay now i want you to cut that and i want you to make it look like that if you have any questions ask me so it's like oh dude you know and so i started doing that and the first one looks like you might expect it's awful and but as they went around that plate you know i kept lifting that same design and doing it and so what that did really was let me learn what the tool does what what i need to do to that tool to make a cut that looks like that, and then uh, put all those elements in it. And as I progressed around that plate with those designs, you could see an improvement to the point where, by that October, he said, hey, I think you're ready to cut a gun. I was like, yes, you know? And then, are you sure, you know? Like, I mean, as, for me growing up, that was like the pinnacle, right? I was gonna be a gun engraver. So, I mean, plates of steel are cool, but they ain't a gun, right? you know? (laughs) So now it's like okay i'm gonna cut a gun would i recommend that now probably not but i had him watching over my shoulder helping me i mean i lived at home then still and so didn't have anything else to do and uh, it was a lot of fun and uh, or at least i thought it was and uh, so he helped me through that first gun and the either second or third gun i cut was for a texas ranger and I know you guys aren't from here, but in Texas, Texas Rangers are the top law enforcement state guys and they're a big deal and they always have been. And so I was 17 years old, I'm gonna cut a gun for a Ranger and I thought, well, if I mess this up, this guy's either gonna kill me or I'm gonna be in prison for the rest of my life. (laughs) So I better do a good
2: job. Or I'll have a get out of jail free card if I do a good
3: job. Yeah, right, right. or yeah, there's always that. (laughs) I did okay, and he liked it. But um, to answer your question, yeah, I kind of use some of those techniques now, and it depends on where someone is. Um, I taught a class in Oklahoma at uh, Murray State College one time, and uh, I had people in that class. It was hammer and chisel engraving, right? Part of the NRA summer gunsmithing program. And so if you had no experience but you wanted to know about it, you signed up for the class. And then I had people, and there were people like that. They had no clue. And then I had people that were pretty good, you know, and anything in between. And so trying to juggle all of those skill levels at the same time is pretty tough. But I kind of revert back to that. You know, here's what you want it to look like. Here's what we're doing. Here's how you do it. And so when you teach something, you really it makes you go back and study how you do it. Because if you're like me and you've just done it, you don't think a whole lot about what you're doing. You're just doing it. And so, um, and, and because by practice and by developing muscle memory, uh, you get those things sort of on automatic and that way you don't have to be thinking about all those things that are necessary. And then you can, you know, go to town creating whatever you're creating. And so the point was you tell people, well, you know, how hard do you hold the chisel down? Well, pretty hard, <laughs>
2: well, it's pretty
3: hard you, know. you know, not real hard, but right. you. It and just like, comes okay.
2: natural to you. you don't, it's,
3: yeah. It's, yeah. So I'm like, how how do you tell somebody press down, you know, with four pounds? And so we took a scale, put a vise on it, and put a piece in it, and I engraved. And we watched the needle go to eight pounds. So I'm pushing down eight pounds, right? Okay, now we know a number and how hard. So I got all them over there by the scale. I'm like, push down eight pounds and you can feel how hard it is and you can see. And so we did that. And some um, reference. Exactly. A point of reference to go through because telling you to push down sort of hard really doesn't do much. But if you go push down eight pounds and here's what that feels like, well, that's okay. Hey, you know, it's a better way. And then you uh, maybe you,
2: you certainly run into the guy too in that class who's like, well, I usually push down six pounds. Every time that's my great guy that knows, every time I've done it, I did some metal shaping classes years and years ago, and I took that uh, in class because I knew nothing, and it, it's apparent I know nothing, so I will that's why you're there. taking the class, yes, right? Yes, I will sit there and listen to everything, and I will supply you with zero knowledge. I'm just gonna listen and do. And every single time I've done one, there's always somebody within that class, you know, and usually you're talking four or five people that ruins the experience. <laughs> That has is is terrible. Like has knows. no yeah. experience, but is an expert, and it's it's brutal. Like I even googled. Like I started researching because I was passionate about wanting to learn it. I'll do like uh, internship. Granted, I have a business and I can't step away, but <laughs> to, to do one on one time when you don't have to deal with that,
1: right? But there's always the one guy who's got to show off to the expert right. to look cool in there, their eyes.
3: Right. No, yeah, not I, was, knowing. I try to stop that by going look. Um, there's usually more than one way to do something. And I'm going to show you the way I do it. Uh, that doesn't mean it's the only way to do it or maybe the best way, but it's what works for me. And so watch what I do, learn what I do. If you have a better way, by all means, yeah, go. You don't,
0: you don't have to take the class next time. You can just do it.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll be in your class next time. Yeah, right. you know. yeah. Hey, uh, I'll, I'll have you class.
1: learned anything uh, yourself or made your? your own skill set better through teaching and trying to dive into your own head to figure out how you do things or why you do them?
3: Yeah. Initially when I was first, um, you know, going to teach that really made me sit and write down a lot of, uh, what I do and think it through. And, I figured out there that there are 11 different things, a minimum of 11 different things going on at the same time while I'm standing there at the vice. Because I stand and work and the vice is, you know, it's about right there, top of the vice. And so I'm and I'm moving. And so I'm moving around like that and, you know, as I'm engraving. And so there's all these different things that are going on. So it made me dissect it. You know, a while ago I said, you know, all these things are like automatic pilot. And uh, because I've done it so long, I don't even think about it. But in order to show someone how you do that, I felt it necessary to um, analyze what I do, figure it out and tell them, you know, it seems overwhelming at first. It really does, because there's so many things that have to happen. You, You need to know all of these things need to happen and work on them. You'll get to the point once you work through that, that all those things start just happening. And you don't have to think about each one. It's kind of like playing an instrument or dancing or, you know, anything that you use a lot of skill. Um, You know, we all have a lot of talent, I think. I think God gives us all different talent. We don't all have the same talent. But, uh, you know, it's it's up to us to take that and develop it. And it takes a lot of practice to make that happen. And as long as you practice correctly, you know, and you're moving in the right direction, then you're going to get better if you're practicing wrong, then you're going to get really good at being bad, you know, <laughs> that's <laughs> but, a good piece of advice. Yeah. Um, it's way easier to learn now than, than it was when I first started because of, uh, because of what we're doing right now, you know, I could yeah. be giving a class to you guys in, it, right now. I mean, we could be real time giving a class. and Yeah, Right. And, uh, but there are people who do that and think about the technology is so cool because yeah, I great. can share what took me, you know, over 40 years to figure out. And I can tell you that, and I don't mind doing that. I really don't because I can tell you all day long, everything I know. It, you still have to do it. Yeah. It's not like I can give you the secret code to program yeah, your C right. where it's going to run faster, you know? Uh, so I don't have a problem sharing. Um, going back to when I said engraving was a, a dying art in the 50s and 60s, there were all these old guys that had started out you know, prior to World War II. They were getting to the end of their career. And they learned it by being an apprentice and working for somebody and being a almost slave to them every day working and learning. They did not want to share what they knew, most of them did not want to share. And I think the fear was they would train somebody who was going to take their clientele and, you know, go overshadow them and they were going to lose their business. And I think that's what it was. I wasn't here then, I don't know for sure, but I believe that's it. So there was this real closed school and that's not good for growth or longevity because if you don't share what you know and other people, younger people don't learn it in, keep it alive, it's not going to live no matter how much people like it, that want it, you know, you got to have somebody doing it. So now uh, it will, okay. Going back to when I started, you would wait for a magazine to come out that might've had a a small article with a couple of pictures of engraving in it. You know, books came out, God bless RL Wilson. He wrote more engraving books than anybody I know uh Colt book, the engraving, Winchester book, the engraving. There's like three editions of the Colt engraving book. I mean, on and on and on. His love for engraving uh, was priceless, in my opinion, because he took really good pictures. He got really good pictures and he put them in books and he told stories about, sometimes, about the engravers who did them. But he gave you really good looks at engraving. Guys, that was it back then. I mean, unless you knew somebody who was an engraver, Uh, You know, fast forward to now, I can get on my phone and I can look at engraving from around the world. Some of it's awful and some of it is just brilliant. And, uh, you know, I could sit here for hours looking at it and learning about it on YouTube or this or that. And so social media has helped out a lot. In the, the other thing, I think the renaissance of engraving in our country is tied to uh, the development of pneumatic engraving tools. And uh, John Rohner and Don Glazer uh, kind of invented together this machine called the, uh, this is the quick version, by the way, so if anybody's going to sleep. No, you're um, on, you're I, I,
2: I'm glued to this yeah. one. I'm intrigued, <laughs> keep oh, going.
3: Okay. okay, so these guys built a pneumatic engraving uh, tool and this was back in the '60s. I don't know what year, latter '60s, right? They actually came by Hendrix when my dad was there and tried to get Frank interested. And Frank's like, nah, you know, ain't having it. Hammer and chisel guy, you know, cool deal, but not us, right? Anyway, so what it did. Remember when we initially talked about the jeweler who who held that uh, device in this hand? That so when you went to Ray Cobra's school, you used a Lindsay tool. Yes. I bet. And so uh, what you had was a little jeweler's burin with a mighty jackhammer in it that you could either control with your palm or with your foot. Correct. Like you step on the gas on the car, yep. or there's a palm control one, too, that you just push on, you know, on the end of the tool with your hand. And as you apply pressure, it increases, it opens the throttle on the thing. It's like a little miniature jackhammer.
4: Yep.
3: And so, um, so what they did when they developed the Graver Meister. Was they gave jewelry engravers who knew how to do that but couldn't engrave steel, they gave them the ability. Now they can power engrave this kind of stuff. And so as this as this industry grew, and the industry, I mean, uh, the making of power equipment for engraving, you know, stone setters used it, engravers used it, other disciplines used that, and so. Then you start having guys that want to give classes like Ray Cover or GRS in Emporia, Kansas. They have a fabulous classroom setup and they have uh, multiple rooms with multiple benches and they have instructors come. So now you have guys, uh, for example, um, a friend of mine who is a student, is a monster tattoo artist in California. And I mean, his skill set, it just blows your mind when you look at what the the tasks that he does and what he draws and that kind of stuff. And so I I look at that and I see, dude, all you need is to understand how these tools work because you got that art inside you. And when you just shift it over from skin over to metal, it's going to be mind blowing. And so what this technology did, what when they developed pneumatic engraving tools, it unlocked a door that made it way easier for people to learn, okay? And that's my opinion. Um, hammer and chisel is a real hard way to learn. It's very difficult and very time-consuming and can be very frustrating. And unless you have somebody like my dad standing over your shoulder going, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> did that work? No. Well, don't do that. No. You know? <laughs> so... Uh, unless you have the luxury of that, and I mean, I appreciate my dad so much for taking his most valuable thing, which was his time, and sharing it with me and showing me what to do. And everybody doesn't have that. And so by motorizing the engraving uh, machine and sitting, you can sit down, you can use a microscope way easier than I can. I'm wearing my OptiVisor now because it's like my hat and, you know, I forget that I'm wearing it, but um, it, it just opened up opportunity that didn't exist in this country. And so right now, I think we're in the very best time for engraving in the United States that we've ever seen. And the United States as a as a whole is producing work that's on that's comparable on a world uh, uh, scale. And so we couldn't always say that. Because there were times in this country where our, our work was looked at as second rate. And if you wanted something nice, it had to go to Germany or England or, or somewhere like that. There's still monster engravers in in both those places. and. Uh, but now you have these guys here in the United States who are continuing to raise the bar with what they do. And it's so fun to see that because what that makes me know is that this art isn't dead. It, it is alive and it's growing. And I love that. I love engraving and I love, uh, you know, um, it's your artwork, but you're doing it is It's almost like a baby. And I'm sure you guys have had projects like that where you yeah. work on something, oh, yeah. work on it. And it just gets in you. And it's like, you almost don't want to let it go. It doesn't matter how much that check is for at the end. It's like, man, you know, I just, you put yourself into it. And, and same it, for me. Uh, and the we need to have people who appreciate that. I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was going to say the engraving is very much like metal shaping, if you think about it. Like, the it's a comparable skill set and from an equipment standpoint as well, because metal shaping it's one thing to go fold things, bend things, weld them together, but actually like complex shaping things like a, a coach builder that would create a body from scratch, you know, really complex compound curves for yeah. years. That was a lost art. You know, it was dying, but the internet and the advancement and equipment totally brought that back. Like when I first got into it, it was pre YouTube and you had like two books and a couple of VHS tapes from some of the legends and I read them over and over and over again. And you could only take so much out of it. And you didn't have you had to find a vintage piece of equipment to be able to do it. And then it advanced. Like we had Chris Rush on the podcast not long ago, who he's pretty much responsible for that, like creating oh, yeah. new power hammers that are somewhat affordable. And it, mm-hmm. it it's really great. What technology's done for all these different arts, it's really something.
3: Right. Yeah, yeah, like no, it's more attainable. It, it, it breathes new life into it because you want to know. Um, we looked at my dad and I both. Um, you know, I admired sculpted engraving, and so um, you know, a lot of the American scroll that I do, it's flat, it's two dimensional. You know, it's a cut. Uh, there's shading. There's background, and you know, some other jazz going on inside it. And uh, you know, it is what it is. And so if you amp that up a little bit and you go uh, and look at the European patterns where you have these guys that are sculpting stuff and they're actually shaping the, the cuts and uh, it looks like wood carving on a miniature scale. You know, stuff is actually moved around in shape. So my dad and I, uh, he didn't know how to do that and neither did I, but I wanted to. And so I would emulate it as best I could And again, this is before the internet, before YouTube and all that kind of stuff. And then I had an opportunity to go to GRS and study with Philippe Griffney from Belgium. And he was world renowned for doing that. And so by studying with him and watching what he did and how he did it, I was like, okay, I got it. I see it. Now I'm good. Because I was seeing the end result. And it was the how you get there part that was the, the conundrum, I guess, the Gordian knot kind of thing for me. And, uh, so it, it was, it was cool to take a class and, and to learn those techniques, but, you know, you can, you can see pictures of it and even read about it, but then when you see somebody do it, like on your VHS tape, um, you know, it sorta of helps put it all together. If you can take a class with them, then it's like, okay, I got it. I'm off to the races, so.
2: So selfishly, I'm going to keep asking a lot of questions, and everybody's just going to have to bear with me <laughs> as they listen to this because I'm intrigued. But for a guy, to get, for a guy to get started, I mean, there's a little bit of a barrier of entry. To there's some equipment that you need. How do you get tomorrow? I decide I want to start really applying myself and learn this. We can do this all fair. He can. No, but I'm, you yeah, help yeah, you there's out. probably you know there's somebody that, there's at least one other dude oh, listening yeah. to this that's like I want okay. to engrave something. You know. Right.
3: Well, uh, as far as what you need and, and all that, it depends on uh, which route you're going to go because basically there's hammer and chisel engraving with, with no power or there's pneumatic engraving with power. And so one of them is uh, way less expensive than the other. Um, so in general, you need something to hold the work that you do. So we'll, we'll go with the basic, most simple thing, right? you got to have something to hold the work and it can be a vice um, depending on which which way you're going uh, the vice may need to be on a stand that's hooked to a workbench that's up high enough for you to uh, be able to use it i don't know if you can see mine or not i'll move my uh, my screen i don't know what i'm looking at here but uh, over there somewhere is my uh, my vice okay
4: yeah. yeah
3: yeah so sunlight happens. right Got it. But that's what that's what mine looks like. So you got to have some work holding, uh, something to hold your work with. You need a chisel to cut with, and you need a hammer to drive it if you're going to do hammer chisel engraving. And so, I've actually thought about doing uh, going to Home Depot or Harbor Freight or somewhere, and just buying like stuff and put a list together and go. If you want to engrave here, put it all together. I'll make a chisel and I'll engrave something with it. <laughs> prove that you don't have to spend $10,000 on stuff to, um, to begin to engrave. Now it doesn't hurt that I've done it for like 44 years. So I know <laughs>
2: Yeah, you can probably do it with like Talk a part of it
3: in this demonstration will be, I'll be an average guy, but, uh, actually that might not be a bad thing to do because mm-hmm. it would show guys that, um, for a few hundred dollars, you could get into it, see if you like it, And then if you want to jump in with both feet, you go get all the Cadillac stuff. Um, I hate seeing guys that don't know, uh, anything about it, go spend, you know, between five and 10,000 on equipment only to see a year or 18 months later, it comes up for sale because they're just not, they're not going to do it. And it's a, that's a big investment. Not everybody can do that. So, um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your yeah. question, addict yeah. You got to have something to cut on, something to cut with, and uh, and all that. So, one, you brought up a great point though in in your class with Ray Cover about sharpening and all the things you have to do before you even start to cut. When I started, um, my dad said, "Hey, uh, this is how you sharpen your your chisel." And so it was, "Watch me do this," and this is what we're what we're doing, you know. Okay, and so we're hand stropping a razor on a ruby stone on the bench, like a six-inch by two-inch ruby stone, which is really hard—not quite as hard as ceramic, but almost—and uh, and so then I would do it, and the, it wouldn't cut butter. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. "Hey, Dad," it's like, "Okay," you know, well, let me show you again, and, and by over and over and over, and finally understanding what we're after. I was able to. Now I can sharpen my chisel faster than most guys can sharpen one if they put it in a jig and do it. But it's because I've been doing it for that long. And uh, is that the recommended practice? No, it's not. Because now you can buy a fixture and some little jigs and you can set up to get the exact angle that you need to do what you want to do. And so that right there, sharpening that tool properly every time, removes that from the equation and that way you're not worried, it, you know, because it's hard enough as it is. And so when you're making this cut, then, you know, if you have to worry, well, man, did I sharpen my chisel wrong? You know, exactly. what's the matter? So if that's removed, then you don't have to worry about that. And you go, well, no, I just suck. That's what the problem yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that
2: was one See, piece of information that I retained from that. It's like, if you don't sharpen that right, you could spend weeks trying to engrave something and it will just be a mess. Yeah, so, yeah, so, no, it's, it's it's so, so that's what difficult. you're blaming it on? No, I'm not. I'm not making excuses at all. I'm just saying, like, without somebody to show yeah. you exactly to say, yes, that's sharpened yeah. correctly, you just suck, and you'll <laughs> right. get. You yeah. might get better, right? But,
3: like, yeah. yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Well, that hurts when you hear that, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, you just suck. <laughs> but uh, so you brought no, up
1: you're... a comment earlier about like what what your dad said that he's going to show you everything, and what you actually take away from it is, you know, kind of on your own. Um, yeah kind of combining that with everything that's going on with social media and it seems like you're pretty passionate on trying to continue to grow uh, the the skill set and the craftsmen and kind of get the next generation up there you may already be doing some of this was there any thought on doing any type of you know basic entry-level tutorials to get guys up to speed and start the passion and show them where they could go
3: I think that is in the future for me um, you know, we have a YouTube channel that, uh, you know, I throw some stuff on, they're not very long videos and it's not necessarily how to, but it does show, um, that in action. It, as you know, it takes a lot of time, uh, to, to create content. And that's what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about creating content and, uh, um, it's something I want to do. I just have to get to the point where I can, uh, put together enough of a uh, of a program that makes sense, in other words, and to have that content where you could watch it and, and it would make sense, and then there would be something else for you to watch after that. So after you've kind of mastered that technique, you can move into uh, uh, the next steps. So, so yeah, I think that that would be something important to do um, for me.
0: Well, I know not- we we warned everybody at the beginning that this is going to be rabbit trails, All right, That's so- all you're thinking about.
2: <laughs> I can tell. Yeah, well I when, can hear the music. I'm, I'm just waiting for a pause <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Steel wanna, guitar is playing. My thought is <laughs> and your my thought is I don't want to go
0: too far down the path of of after Weldon's yeah. learned and where he's in his career now without going back. We've already talked about his dad, so yeah. where when did your dad have to learn firearms engraving from yeah. his uncle and why did he do, We're talking before that. Like what what things happened in his life that Made him like you know what I'm a Hank being Williams. His- <laughs> Hank Williams is that?
3: Well, okay. So my dad was always an artist, I guess, and uh, you know it is hard. Not and- I guess.
0: No, that's that's a that was a <laughs> he's a hundred percent an, an artist.
3: artist. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so he he was making stuff. He tooled leather. He uh, you know made saddles and belts and all kinds of stuff like that. So he was a very creative person. In addition to learning how to play the guitar and uh, and, sing. and so in the 40s, uh, I believe is when my uncle or my dad's uncle showed him the process of engraving. So he had that that skill set that he was kind of working with. And so he would he would use that and do that. But then his love at that time was playing country music. And so we're talking 19. He his first radio appearance was in 1938, which, you know, is going to be a hundred years ago, pretty soon, you know, but, um, so he was on the radio and he started playing gigs and doing stuff and, and really developing that side of his, uh, career. And he saw it as a business, as a job, it's what he wanted to do for a living. And so that's what he did. At the same time, you know, you don't play gigs all day, every day. And so he used his, uh, his downtime to tool leather, to, um, you know he would go hunting and fishing and doing stuff like that as well but he uh he developed this sort of multifaceted skill set and uh i don't know how far down this rabbit trail you want me to go but um let's uh, go let's go down Wade, the trail
2: wait well like what kind of bands was he played did he ever play with like any cool well, bands he was or something in, like that all right he was in <laughs> san
3: antonio uh yeah so he was in san antonio texas which uh maybe not the best country music town but uh in the day that he was there, uh, radio did a lot of live broadcast. And so my dad was a disc jockey on several of the radio stations, but what that meant was that he was doing live shows. So he would, he'd be playing his guitar and singing. And there were some records that, that he would play. And, uh, you know, so he, because of that medium, he was broadcast all over uh, Texas where anybody could hear that station and. uh, in fact, he was actually on some of the Mexican stations that were across the border that were a million watt that you could hear literally on the fence wire on the border. You know, those stations were. Wow. Beaming. Wolfman Jack was on ones, and, you know, like that XEG is one. And, dude, they, they broadcast North America. I mean, it covered North America. When you hit AM uh, radio with a million watts, it's like nitrous oxide on one of your cars right it's like it makes stuff happen and uh, so he was uh, getting pretty well known at the same time if any country music stars came through San Antonio to play if you had the hottest uh, radio show they want to be on your show so he got to know everybody in the business and in oh probably 49 uh, he started telling my mother you know uh, they were married in 1941. Uh, July of 1941, right before, uh, the, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, in fact. So they got married in July. That happened December 7th. So they had a small window of peace in uh, their life. And then, uh, so about 49, he told my mother, Hey, you know, I'm a, I've gotten as big as I can get in this market. If I want to do this, I'm going to have to go to Nashville because that's where it's happening. And, uh, they thought about it. And finally, I think around 1950, they, uh, closed their house up, loaded everything in the car, and went to Nashville. And he wasn't invited by anybody, he just decided to go. He had a couple of friends that had gone uh, from San Antonio there, so he had a buddy that had a cabin on the Cumberland River. And uh, so they went and they got in, this guy's name was Joe, they got in Joe's cabin, and the next day it snowed more than it has snowed in Tennessee, probably up until that (laughs) point. They were stuck in a cabin on the Cumberland river, he and my mother, I and bet they your had mom work. was happy. Well, they stayed married. So, <laughs> and it's a, it's a wonder I wasn't born in 1951 <laughs> <laughs> after that story, but, uh, but I wasn't, uh, anyway, he hung around, uh, went, you know, got an appointment at every record company, uh, went to the Grand Ole Opry and, uh, so the story, the story was, uh, when he went to the Opry, the guy said, man, Bill, I, I really love you. Do you have a recording contract? And he said, well, uh, no, I don't. He said, well, I can't let you on the Opry unless you got a recording contract. And he goes, okay, um, well, let me see what I can do. And so then he goes to all the record companies. And it's, well, are you on the Opry? <laughs> Well, no, but if I could get a recording contract, I'd be mean, like, well, you know, if you were on the Opry, he would give you a recording contract. So so he's like, well, all right, we'll see what happens here, right? So Tex Ritter came uh, into town. He had been out on tour and he came into town and Dad called him and Tex says, well, did you talk to D. Kilpatrick over at Capitol Records? And Dad said, yeah, but he turned me down. He said, I tell you what, I want you to meet me over there at whatever time, just be there. Dad, all right. So um, dad got there. Tex walks in and he tells the guy behind the desk, he says, get a contract out and sign this boy right now. And the guy pulls a drawer open, gets a contract out and boom, he's got a recorded <laughs> contract on Capitol <laughs> records. So he's like, yes, capital so he calls Jim Denny at the Opry. He well, says, Hey, Jim, I need to come see you. And all right. So he walks in. He says, what's up, Bill? He says, well, I got a recording contract on Capitol Records. I just want to see if you're a man of your word. He says, hang on just a second. I got to make a phone call. So he turns around. He gets on the phone. Uh-huh, uh-huh, blah, blah, blah. Hangs up. He says, Bill, how'd you like to open up on the road for Hank Williams? Wow. And Dad says, well, if Hank would have me, that'd be fabulous. And he says, "Yep." Yeah. He said, you're going to be his opening act. And you'll be, I'll put you on the Opera. I can't make you a member right now, but you'll you will be on the Opry every Friday or Saturday night, whatever it was. And you'll be traveling out of Nashville at, as the opening act for Hank Williams. And I was like, man, this is awesome. So in about 21 days, my dad went from local San Antonio hillbilly to now oh, i Nashville. So it's like... And at that time, this was about the second generation of actual country music in 1950, because there had been some guys who'd done pretty well and been stars. And so this, what we're talking about when he was there was almost the seminal time of country music. Everything,
0: everything was on a rock ship.
3: Yeah. It it was all right there. And so, I mean, you had um, Ernest Tubb, you had um, little Jimmy Dickens, anybody that you can think of from that era, they were working out of the opera and they were traveling on these shows and doing that. And, it
2: uh, wasn't Bob Wills, you know. the King though, back in Texas. Yeah.
3: Bob Wills is still the King. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's what he did. And, uh, so he would record for Capital and, uh, capital made him, um, his first recording session was prior to him traveling with Hank, and so the music on on the first four songs that he did is a little different. After that, he used Hank's band, uh, which was called the Drifting Cowboys, the steel, the fiddle, guitar, and bass, mm-hmm. to back him up because it made sense. I'm gonna be out on the road with him, and so I want my records to sound like what people hear when they're, uh, you know, uh, buying stuff. and Capital would have him cut, they would do four, it's called sides. At the time, they were cut on an acetate disc, which looks like an old 78 record, but it's just thicker. And so they would record on those uh, front and back, and they would do two of those. So there'd be four songs. One of those had to be a beer drinking song, and which is pretty funny because my dad was Baptist and never drank beer. <laughs> hey, This oh, was man. his job, and he was working. The Baptists,
0: the they drink beer. They just do it on Saturdays.
3: You're right. Uh, or that <laughs> they do. Uh, in the closet, maybe. Uh, just hypothetically speaking. <laughs> uh, but it, uh, uh, gosh, I, you, you were de- my train. Sorry. It's, oh, it's all good. Um,
4: beer drinking so song.
3: You, yeah, beer drinking song. They wouldn't play them on the Opry. You couldn't do a beer drinking song on the Grand Ole Opry or on the radio. So they, they played them on jukeboxes all over the place. And so jukebox money was big time then. And so he he and Hank and the the group were coming in off the road on one of their uh, trips. They would be gone for a couple of weeks at a time and then come back in. And when they came in, they would have a recording session. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, on this particular one, um, dad tells Hank, uh, hey, uh, man, I need a beer drinking song. I got a session coming up and I don't have one. And so he said, Hank, uh, said, Hoss, I got one that'll cock your pistol. Don't worry. <laughs> and, uh, so the night, the night before my dad's session, <laughs> Hank goes in the studio, which was at, at, it was called Castle Studios. It was some hotel there in Nashville it was the recording studio. Right. And this is before studio a and B RCA studios and all that. before that ever happened. And, uh, Uh, So Hank goes in, does his session for MGM, and then tells the band, hey, y'all can go. I need the engineer to stay because i got to cut a demo. And so uh, the engineer stuck around. Hank recorded uh, his demo record, and Dad was there. And he said, here you go, Bill. Gave Dad the record, and Dad went home and learned it. And the reason for that, neither Hank nor my dad read music. They played by ear totally. It it wasn't like he would ride it out. Dad would, you know. like nah these are hillbillies right they're really good at what they do but this is how they do it so dad goes home and learned it and comes back to the studio the next night and he records it and then he takes that demo record and puts it in a box with a bunch of other demo records and stuff and just forgot about it and went on about his business and you know back to touring and doing all that kind of stuff and uh eventually uh Uh, Hank started having more problems um, in his personal life that affected his business and stuff. And so dad um, left Hank and went with other stars out of Grand Ole Opry. And Hank's um, life kind of came unraveled. And January 1 of 53, he passed away. And so I think dad was actually in San Antonio when Hank died. And uh, it just took a lot out of my dad. And when they were friends. They were very, very good friends. And uh, I think it hurt him deeply. And, um, anyway, so Hank died, uh, dad, uh, you know, went on with his career and toward the latter part of the fifties, rockabilly music was coming on strong with guys like, um, Elvis, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, those kind of guys, (laughs) excuse me. Um, and so it was putting the hurt on the hillbillies, you know, because all the young kids had been their fan base all this time. And now you got kids wanting to hear these guys, and if you're hardcore traditional country music, you know they don't want to listen to you. And so at that point, my dad had been on the road for 20 years. Later, after my mom died, I found out he said I was going to lose your mom. She had just had enough. I, I've been doing this for 20 years, and she was just tired. And I loved your mom more than I love music. And he said, so I just came in off the road. I quit, and then he started. Uh, really focusing on those skills that he had been developing all this other time, you know, engraving, doing some leather work. It took him a while to kind of find out where his niche was, which was in engraving guns. And, uh, he eventually did. But to go back to that box of demo records, right? It stayed in their garage in San Antonio, a uh, little detached garage that they had. And then they moved to Bernie, Texas and, uh, while they were building their house, it was actually under a tarp in the backyard, a lot, along with a bunch of other stuff. Then it moved to the attic, where it stayed. In in 1988, I think it was, uh, he and my mother decided, was probably my mother, decided to clean out the attic. Only only your wife would decide to clean the exactly. attic Exactly, yeah, it yeah, had day. to be her. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am happy with whatever is in my attic right now. Stay I'm there till you one. die. I <laughs> can be there. On the other hand, my wife, It's something that she's going to wake up at night going, you know, we need to clean out the attic. And so my mom, and if she watches this, you know I'm kidding. (laughs) uh, She decided they need to clean the attic out. So they go in through this stuff and find this box. And my mother says, what is this? And my dad said, I'll just throw that out. It's a bunch of junk. She said, well, let's listen to some of these. And they started listening. It was a rainy Sunday afternoon. No grandkids were there. Uh, My wife and I had four and they were little at the time, and uh, nobody was there, so they just started spinning these old records, going down memory lane. Well, they come up to this one, and my dad says, "You know, I have never heard that song by Hank Williams ever released, and they have repackaged and released everything that yeah. he's ever done." And he goes, "You know, this might be the only one." Wow. And Junior needs to know about this. And uh, damn, so he just starts giving me to chills. He really is giving yeah. me chills. <laughs> Yeah. So he, uh, well, okay. A little pause there. I came home probably 1973 from school and Hank jr. Sitting on the couch talking to my dad and dad says, Oh, son, this is Hank. Williams jr. And <laughs> I said, oh, normal. that's cool. Well, what do we got? <laughs> you got, is there a pizza or whatever? You know, and I'm going to ride my motorcycle. And, uh, I'm like, Hey, Hank, how's it yeah, going? Okay, okay. All right, cool. Bye. And I'm out of there. Cause I don't know. It wasn't a big deal. I mean, he knew everybody and, uh, it, it was just um much more impressed by Hank jr now than i was when i was that age well and-
0: a short pause i'm from i'm from alabama my family wife my grand uh grandparents all from alabama for for generations so in alabama if you're from alabama the williams family can do no wrong right yeah they're the first family of alabama so
2: it, it doesn't matter. We're from Absolutely. Know, the Chicagoland area. And ever since I was in my teens, I loved Hank Sr., yep. Hank Jr., Hank the Third. You know, I'm a Hank. I'm a Williams, Williams family, family fan. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Can, his dog can, Hank.
3: Hey, yeah, I mean, that's I mean, right. I mean, dude, I'm in good company there. Yeah. Right. So actually, this was right before Hank fell off of Ajax Mountain. And so nice. <laughs> uh, he was he was there, and he knew that my dad and his dad were pretty close. And he said, Bill, they want me to be my dad. Huh. He said, what do you think my dad would tell me to do? He said, son, I can tell you what your daddy would say. The world's already had one Hank Williams. They don't need another one. You be you. He said, okay. You know, he said, I know your daddy would tell you that. Holy. Be who you are. You don't need to be your daddy. So, you know, he goes on and, you know, gets pretty bunged up, falling down the mountain. And then he kind of... It it's changes. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. so then the Hank Jr. that we know and love oh, yes. is kind of born out of that. And so that's pretty awesome. But I saw him first at my house before then. And uh, that's, that's when I first met Hank. So unreal. Dad says, man, he goes, Jr. needs to... Jr. needs this. And so Dad starts trying to call. He calls the front office. And gets the runaround and i'm sure the whoever answered the phone's character is going "Uh uh uh-huh sure. how nice Uh uh-huh well isn't that special goodbye a record Uh you don't ever get the message and it finally pissed him off and he said you know what if junior wants that damn thing he's going to have to come down here and get it because i'm done trying to give it to him it it, you know it just kind of right that's how he was he said okay i'm done well you talk about getting goosebumps phone rings one day and it's Hank Jr. And he says, Hey, I want to talk to Weldon. And so I get on the phone. He says, Hey, um, I know you're, you've been engraving for a while and I've got a bunch of, uh, your dad's work in my collection. And I would like to add some pieces of yours to go along with those. And if it's okay, um, after we're done in San Antonio, um, Friday night on Saturday, we'll run out and visit if it's okay. And I'm like, well, let me check my schedule. <laughs> Pretty busy <Yeah>. on Saturday. I <laughs> yeah, could probably squeeze you in. I don't know, Hank. You know, no, we're like, uh, yeah, absolutely. Come out and, you know, we'll, we'll enjoy visiting. And so we did. We talked about guns and hog hunting and whatever else we were, you know, chewing the fat on, just having a good time. And uh, my mom made these little dessert things she called Chipperoos And so they come in. He had Merle Kilgore, his manager with him. And there was another guy whose name I can't recall that was with him too, one of Hank's friends. And uh, so they're just hanging out, you know, having fun, eating my mother's chipperoos and just enjoying life. And my dad says, Hey, I want y'all to listen to something. And they're like, okay, Bill, what is it? So he goes in my old room, uh, on my old stereo from high school and he plunks down this record and he starts playing it and their eyes bug out of their head. And Kilgore says, Bill, take the needle off and for God's sakes, don't scratch it. So dad takes the needle off and takes a record out, puts it back in the sleeve, paper sleeve that it was in. And Hank says, Bill, what are you going to do with that? And my dad said, son, your daddy gave this to me a long time ago. I think this belongs to you. And he just handed it to you. Holy shit. And so wow. the record the record was that it was a demo record of there's a tear in my Beer." And, uh, the rest, as they say is history, yeah, it's history oh, really? and boy, boy, what a history. And so, um, dad just gave it to him. And so of course they had seen the song in Hank's catalog of music, had seen it in print. They did not even know that Hank ever recorded it. My dad recorded it and released it on Capitol. Like we said, you know, he was in the studio the night after and it was released on Capitol. So dad's version was out there. They had no idea Hank did demo. And so they took it, uh, put the duet together, and it just was a monster. Well, Merle Kilgore went on Nashville Now, which was the biggest country music TV show at the time, and he starts telling the story because people want to know where it came from. You know, where in the world did this new Hank Williams record come from? He says, well, you know, this is Hank's old you know front man big bill lister from bernie texas had this thing in his attic and blah blah well dude the next morning the phone started ringing and it's like uh hey can come be on the radio and tell us about this story blah 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 and uh one of the guys that we met doing that is bill cody and bill cody is at wsm in nashville and uh still a friend and uh, used to live in comfort not too far from us but bill's a super guy and uh Man, the phone started ringing and it didn't stop until after my dad died of yeah, people hungry to hear about his experiences uh, with Hank. What kind of person Hank was, you know, what he knew, blah, blah, blah. And he did not mind sharing that. I asked him finally one day after all that, you know, I mean, it was like pretty crazy for a while. And we were sitting there eating like cause we're still working. You know, he and I were working together at the time. And uh, we worked, I worked in his shop for 26 years. And uh, so it's been a lot awesome. of time.
0: Playing. That's awesome.
3: Yeah. And so at lunch one day I said, dad, I just got to ask you, um, anybody else when Hank said, Bill, what are you going to do with that? They would have said, well, it could be yours for, yeah. you know. $10 and then million. They would, yeah. yeah. They would have named right. a price, you know, whatever it was. And I said, I'm sure they would have paid it you know, because good God, a one of a kind, Hank Williams new song. Unreal. I said, why'd you do that? And I already knew, but I just wanted to hear him say it. And he said, son, I just wanted Hank's old fans to get to hear one more new Hank Williams song. That's all I wanted. Wow. I said, dad, there ain't nobody in the world like you. And, uh, Damn. Anyway, later, about a month later, they sent him a contract and they gave him a percentage actually of, of the sales, which they didn't have to do. He didn't ask for it, but wow, uh, they took care of him. That is pretty cool. Was, uh... Hey everyone, Andy Stumpf here, the host of the Ironclad Original Change Agents podcast. In addition to producing podcasts like Change Agents, Danger Close with Jack Carr, Oil & Whiskey with Roadster Shop, and others. IronCloud also works with some of the world's biggest brands like Mechanics Wear, Under Armour, the Navy Seal Foundation, Anthem, and a ton of others to create industry-leading custom film series, commercials, podcasts, and more. We can also get your message in front of an audience of millions by placing it on podcasts and series just like this one. To check out more about Ironclad and see how they can help you elevate your company, brand, or business, Check out this is ironclad.com. This is ironclad.com. Have yeah, you,
2: have cool. you heard the Hank Jr song uh, hand me down. Hand me down. Where it's he's talking about a uh, note he found in senior's guitar case. He he says in a in an attic. He's and it almost sounds like I don't feel like he found, you know, he's talking about hand me down, son, my son to your son. You take yeah. all these songs and, and it just goes on and on and on huh. about telling him to like hang it up. But it, if you listen to the lyrics, it sounds to me like I don't think he found a note in his in, his, in senior's guitar case. Oh, it almost sounds like this huh? was written his about note. this story. Listen to the song. Hand me down.
3: It's a, do great, it. I it I,
2: is a great song. I love the song.
3: But yeah, it, I haven't I haven't heard that one but um, you know Hank jr is a really good songwriter and so um, he, he's got some powerful songs and uh, I have to listen to it and see you know kind of depends on when it was written too um, might have been written before this happened so um,
2: but it's I don't crazy. know I, yeah yeah it's it sounds a, like it's, later it's, Hank it's, I don't know the exact date but. Yeah, it sounds because I'm a huge. I love Hank Jr.'s early years where he where they wanted him to be his dad, right? Because he's a wildly talented guy. But then, and I actually just bought two records last weekend at some random little record store out in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. That because I I dig his early stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But I love when he reached that point, like you're describing, when it t- came time for him to be Hank Jr. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's kind of mind blowing because you're like, man, it's it he. He he he's probably better than the old man. I hate to say it, you know, but what he yeah, did—I mean, yeah. he's he is a talented, talented guy. Oh, good grief! That hits. But man, I tell you, just unreal.
3: Uh, he is he is uh, very, very talented, very talented, and uh, uh, awesome. Senior, uh, I think would be very proud of him, and I think I can say that based upon what I know from my dad. Um, I believe he would be very, very proud of what Hank Jr.'s done with with what he's been given. So.
2: You yeah, know, I think after this, we're probably going to have to hang this podcast up because we've had some pretty cool dudes There's on nothing here. Nothing ever gets better than this. We've had some really cool dudes. No, I mean, we nothing had, gets better. We had, we had Joe Rogan on here. Yeah. Joe Rogan podcast. And sorry, Joe. Super cool dude. He didn't have these stories. That doesn't hold a game. <laughs> yeah. Joe's, Joe's super cool, but he yeah. had these stories. Right. But he's not he Hank Sr. cool. No.
0: He didn't right. walk in and say "Hey" to Hank Jr. While I'm looking no. for a pizza or something <laughs> to eat.
3: <laughs> I, Unreal. I didn't know any better. You know, uh, I spent whole day of school suffering trying to let him teach. Uh, you know, man, that's that's well.
0: that absolutely awesome. I I knew a little bit about the stuff, but hearing hearing it being told, honestly, like chills, absolute chills.
3: Um, I, mean, I think. You know something is supposed to happen i believe that was just gonna it just had to happen it was supposed to because the odds of that record surviving what it went through and i you know i kind of made a point of telling you where yep. it was yeah it went through. so dude in the attic in texas in the summer yeah it was probably 140 150 degrees in that attic and that record looked like it was new it showed no damage on that side. The other side, the song was almost intact. I think they lost a little bit of it, but on the tier, my beer side, man, it was perfect.
0: When did it, when did Junior release that with the video and all that? Was that 84 or
3: 85? 89. 89. It was in 89. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, so I think he came in 88 maybe, and, uh, and that's when dad gave it to him. And so the funniest part was, I think they went directly to San Antonio, found a recording studio, and recorded it. Because, I mean, they realized what they had, and it's like, man, if this thing, if it gets damaged, it's done right. over, you know, right. It's done. And so they go to a recording studio, then Warner Brothers sends a dude with an environmentally controlled briefcase to put the record in. They send him on airplanes. <laughs> yes, so the damn the attic. No, they, <laughs> they, they <laughs> head it was to your, ad- under a tarp. It was
1: under tarp. <laughs> they they head
3: had into your I attic and capture that air. He goes, oh my gosh! He goes, the damn thing's been in the attic. It's been in the backyard. You know, it's been in the garage. He goes, good grief! You know, but anyway, hey, they were doing due diligence to make sure nothing happened to the thing. And
0: I was I was living in Dallas, Texas, in from eighty seven to ninety, and I remember, or eighty six to ninety, and I remember on Sundays after church, me and the family would always. My dad would always take us this one barbecue joint and i don't remember the name of it in dallas and stuff and i remember like that was the song that was always playing right about right that at that time so it may, it was maybe towards the end 89 or 90 or whatever and that was just i remember my dad always trying to tell and i'm a, I'm young then i mean i'm probably nine or ten yeah. you know and uh it, so, but I remember it It plays over and over in my it's head. It's
2: crazy when it hits you. For me, the first Hank Sr. song I heard was in the movie Radio Flyer. Yeah. You remember that? The old man who was like beating oh, up the kids, yeah. I remember he'd the- walk into the backyard and grab a six-pack of beer yeah. and sit down. And on the turntable, you hear that, yeah, it was yeah. a Hank Sr. song. And I was a little kid, but something about it just resonated with me. And stuck they out. actually
3: used uh they actually used Tear and My Beer in a Clint Eastwood movie in uh Pink Cadillac. It's a, uh in the movie Pink Cadillac it's playing. Pink
0: Cadillac. Yeah uh, well I don't even know how we transition from this, but I wanted to get back to so <laughs> you're you've <laughs> learned just like this. i start over <laughs> just like I can't. This is like part two. All right, we're starting right. Now. Uh but we'll just talk forever. So anyway you you're you're learning from your dad you, you said you worked in there 26 years that's that's absolutely amazing um to be able to work with him for that long side by side doing some crazy stuff it, you talked about him teaching you you started you did you know very early on you were doing a gun when did you start making your name when did you start making when did your you when did you and,
2: hank jr your hank senior yeah when did you Hank <laughs>
3: Well, that's a, great, that's a great question. I'm not sure I've thought a whole lot about that, but I think um, I would go back to uh, into the 90s, I guess, and with my dad uh, watching what I was doing, and I think he had a sense of maybe what I was capable of, but the, the commissions that I had coming in weren't uh, supporting what I, my ultimate capabilities were. And so I had a family, I was working um, two jobs. I, I had another job that we can discuss at some point if you want, but uh, I had in my time off from that, I was engraving full time. So I had these dueling careers. I was a professional firefighter in San Antonio for uh, 30 years. And oh, so, wow. Yeah, I picked a job. This is
0: the most interesting man in, in the world. <laughs>
3: By far.
0: So, so you drink I had, Dos
3: Equis? Uh, well, anyway, um, <laughs> I, you know my criteria was pretty simple. Um, I mean, we were expecting a child, and I had been freelance engraving in, uh, in like they say, it's sometimes chicken and sometimes feathers. And so I thought, well, um, I don't know. I had this real feeling of responsibility, you know, going to be a dad and all. And I thought this is really not a good life, you know, to try to raise a kid and and uh, or have a family because. I don't know. Sometimes if I'm going to make any money, and it seems that we're going to need a lot of it, and uh, uh, you know, it would seem as though. And so I thought, okay, I need a job that's got a lot of time off because I really want to do this. But I need a job that's got a lot of time off, a lot of benefits, um, insurance, and a retirement. And so, what is that job? And so that eliminated almost all jobs. And what was left was being a firefighter. And my dad had some friends that were firefighters. So I kind of grew up knowing those guys. And so I thought, oh, I'm gonna see if I can do that. And eventually I did and uh, went to work for a small department for a couple of years and then segued into city of San Antonio where I stayed 27 years. And, uh, but the motivation for that was um, what I just said. You know, I needed a, a career that would do those things and it allowed me the time off. I actually worked on duty a, a long time. Uh, I had a little shop set up in the back of the fire station when I would go <laughs> and uh seriously now you can't do this now right uh, right. Double right double tippy. Tippy. don't <laughs> try this at home this is you know this is years ago People did that know.
0: did that pair of colts get engraved at a fire station
3: no it did not All right. <laughs> uh, but it, so
0: then it wouldn't matter what I'm finding them and then I'll
3: yeah. Yeah. So what would happen, uh, it it eventually came out, you know, I set up this little shop in the back and, you know, when we went on duty, I'd go, you know, get all my stuff out. And, you know, what are we doing today? I would ask, you know, the lieutenant, what are we doing? Ah, nothing. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go engrave. So we changed at noon. I'd eat lunch and then go back to my little engraving shop and and engrave for 24 hours sometimes. I mean, man, I'd work until one or two o'clock in the morning and uh, back when I could do that kind of thing. And the word got out, and so every now and then, I, the, you know, the PA would come on. Hey, uh, Lister, come up to the front, and I'd go up there, and it was some battalion chief from somewhere. Hey, um, Captain so and so over here is retiring, and the boys want to do a knife for him, and you know, <laughs> spend about 50 bucks. Um when you're done, just let you know four oh know and he'll come pick it up and so that the, the you're chain you're paying of, your dues. Yeah, yeah. The chain <laughs> of command is actually delivering my word for me, you know. <laughs> Bring the money. Here's the thing. You know, uh, we're gonna I'll let you
0: we're it. gonna let you keep doing that, but here's some there's stuff, some stuff you it. need to do.
3: Yeah, right. And so it worked out pretty well. Uh probably wouldn't work now, but in <laughs> day and time, but in, in that day and time it did. And uh um Man, I I sidetracked so far. I don't know what the real question was, but um, oh, okay, I know what it was. It was so. When did I become me and and not my dad? And so, I'll throw this out there. Uh, some some people ask me this, and I always marvel at this question. But who's better, you or your dad? I'm like, well, first of all, I'm thinking, what kind of question is that?
4: <laughs> obviously, <serious> me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's a really Dude. bad question. <laughs> it is and i always say you know what my dad was an amazing engraver and if i could be as creative and awesome as my dad i would feel like i was doing something and that's that's the truth and that usually they go oh okay you know i'm like i'm not going to tell you dude i am so good that i'm way better please just shut up um anyway so dad saw what i was doing and he saw the potential And he's like, man, he goes, you got to do some of these guns. He goes, I know you can do it. You know you can do it. But until you do one, the people who are going to pay you aren't going to know. So you need to do some of this kind of stuff. So he actually commissioned me to create some pieces that would push the envelope and push me outside of where I had been with just, you know, scroll work. So these are guns with animals on them and scenes and all kinds of you know, wild stuff and what he wanted to do, he was, he was actually investing in me and he knew that I wouldn't be able to do that right now. But if the world never saw one, the world was never going to ask for one. And so I appreciate that so much about my dad. You know, we all need somebody who believes in us. You know, you got to believe in yourself, but it's awesome when somebody believes in you. And sometimes they see things in you that you may not yet see. And they call it out and they say, you know, I know you're better. You can do better and you can be better. You just got to do it. And and that's not a derogatory thing. But it's like, man, I see this and I know you can get there. And so my dad did that. And uh, so I I did some pieces like that. And then, you know, the word got out. And then I got to uh, be able to do more of those things and more of those things. And then at that point, I started getting to kind of do what I want to do and then create the things that I want to create. And so um, when you're working for uh, on a commission, when somebody comes to you uh, to build a car, you know, you've, I'm sure you've had all different kinds of clients. And then you, you've probably really liked the ones who go, man, I got a budget. I kind of got an idea, but I'm looking to you guys to sort of
2: yes, do it.
3: And those are great people to work for because they let you be creative and they let you do what you love to do. And they're usually stoked whenever they see the finished product. When you got somebody who's so technical and it's got to have this, and it's got to have that, and it's got to have, and blah, 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 blah. or they've
0: printed out a picture and they say, Trace this. I want you <laughs> to engrave this on my gun. That, yeah. No, thanks. No,
3: that's a no. Yeah, that's yeah. a no. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, I've had people show me photos of other engravers whom I know and, uh, well, I want a gun like this. I'm like, well, that's done by so and so. You need to go talk to him. Right, because I'm not going to create a gun like that. That's his deal, right? Not mine. So go talk to him.
0: We have this. We have well, this conversation on this podcast, yeah. and and uh, you know, in the shop all the time. It's funny. You have people come, man. Oh, you know, love, big fan of the Roadster Shop. Love you guys' work. Love this. Blah blah. I want a car like this. Yeah, and, it'll and be here's like some the, pictures of a, a the Ring Brothers, Ring Brothers or whatever. It's to, like, well, that's that's what they your, built Yeah, up. call the
3: Ring Brothers. Right. They, they, they'll yeah, build you a pack. It's your competition. Hard, just like yeah, that. You, they want you to build one that your competition yeah. builds or whatever. Yeah, and it's like, no, nah, no, nah, can't a, do that. It's that's a great point,
2: though. The, the greatest things we've ever built, are the things we're the most passionate about, were the customers that came in with just an idea for an old car. And well, what are you guys thinking? Make I mean, what, what cool. would what would you like to do to make it cool? hmm
3: yeah, I had I had a guy um, that uh, there's two guys involved in this story. Uh, one of them I called the Gopher, and so the Gopher's job he worked for a, a very wealthy attorney, and so the Gopher's job was to find guns. He would go for guns, right? So he was the Gopher. He went all across the country Great finding. Yeah, I know, <laughs> man, it's like dude. He wrote a, his Harley to Sturgis one time and had a Dakota built. <laughs> okay. and shot it, and then had him take it apart and send it to me for engraving. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I would, I would actually let you pour me one right now if I was there. <laughs> <would love> <laughs> so the gopher uh, would bring guns and say, hey, the guy's name was Mike. And he said, Mike wants this or Mike wants that or blah, blah, blah. And the, the projects kept getting more and more involved, right? So then he shows up one day with a couple of uh, Colts that were factory engraved. Mike doesn't like these and he wants you to fix them. I said, so these are factory engraved. Um, just like a faux pas to do that, blah, blah, blah. He said, he knows that he wants you to fix them. So me being a little slow, right? I'm not the sharpest tool in shed. I'm in the shed, you know, but uh, I said, in the shed." But- <laughs> in the shed. So like, Uh, But to do that, you have to do blah, blah, blah. And I explained the process. Yes, but Mike doesn't like them. He wants you to fix them. I said, it's going to be very expensive. It would be less expensive. Just take two plain guns. Mike doesn't like them. He wants you to fix them. I said, oh. I'm like, the light bulb finally went on. I like there's some really bad wiring. And then, ding, Mike wants me to fix those. He says, yes. I said, okay, got it. And so those were two very elaborate projects. One of them was a nine millimeter factory chambered single action that's been done on about 50 guns that I know of. And so it's not a standard thing that you could get that I know of. And uh, the only commemorative it was on was called the European. And it had some really big European style engraving on it. And so I had to get rid of all that. And that involved a lot of process to do. When we got done with that, then he comes back with this gun and he says, it's a single action. And he says, okay, here's the deal. Uh, Mike wants you to make this so nice that you don't want to let go of it. I'm like, okay, so what's he thinking? He, it, It's your deal. You make it so nice that you don't want to let go of it. No budget was discussed, yeah. okay? And so at this point, we were years into our relationship I had never met the guy. I only knew the gopher. For all I knew, you know, the gopher was Mike. I mean, right. I didn't.
0: And uh, that's a daunting task, though. Unlimited. Uh, you need yeah, some direction.
3: So, you gotta to have some right?
2: borders. Yeah, you need to yeah, so, How no many bunches. zeros? <laughs> At least give me a number
3: of zeros. So, it'd be like it'd be like me coming to you and go, okay, how much? Here's a check. Okay, get to work. Right. And that's it. You know, you make it so nice, you don't want to let go of it. And so. I struggled with that for a little bit because I thought, okay, I got to have a theme. And then between my wife and I, you know, I bounced stuff off of her, and you know, what well, was about this idea, what about that, and uh, I developed uh, or settled on Indians and Buffalo. And so I used scenes from uh, Western art, uh, Remington, Russell, uh, Frank McCarty's a more modern painter, but I would take adaptations of of their buffalo hunt scenes with Indians that I liked and sort of modify them to fit on what I was doing. And so there was one other artist named Henry, Henry Merwin Schrady that I also used. So four artists, and uh, uh, you know what they say, I mean, you know, good artists borrow, great artists steal. So I just stole their <laughs> art. I was inspired by yes the Western of these guys and then adapted their scenes to fit on what I was doing. And so I did the single action that had multi-level raised and relief gold uh, Indian and Buffalo scenes on it, uh, sculpted uh, engraving. Uh, I mean, it was like me going, man, this is everything I can do. At, At that point in time, it was like the pinnacle of what I was capable of. I mean, I did everything I knew how to do. And so I got to meet Mike. I delivered the gun in person. And everybody that saw that gun before that, their first thing out of their mouth was wow. Is they would they would look at it and go, Wow. And you when you hear that, you think, okay, you know, I, I achieved something. as so I, I invoked a reaction. People like what they're seeing. But they're not writing the check. Mike is, you know. So I gotta see what Mike says. So Mike says, you know, I meet him. He's a really great guy. Uh, love the gun. Wow. And his his wife happened to be walked by. Hey, uh, honey, come here. I want you to meet Wellman. He just, he's been engraving guns for me. And he just did this piece. I would like you to look at it. She takes it and she goes, wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had just told Mike, I said, man, everybody has said, wow. And like it was scripted, she comes in. <gasps> wow. wow. And so the worst part of it was i didn't realize how literal he meant make it so nice that you don't want to let it go and he had later on i learned that he had done that with a number of uh people that he had patronized with their art one person said i don't want to let that go and he said okay keep it and i did not realize that's how literal he was had I realized that I said, like, dude, I don't want to let this go. He's really okay. done. I'll just keep it. Anyway, it went into his collection. Um, unfortunately, Mike passed away uh, a couple of years after that. And, uh, uh, but it is still in his his wife sold a bunch of his stuff. She kept everything I did, and that gun is still in, in her possession. Wow. so That's incredible. But that was uh, that was a long answer to your question, uh, when did I get to become me? And I had the opportunity to become me because my dad uh, encouraging me to do that. And then wanting to, I think in order to get good at anything, we have to try. And that drive comes from within us, right? You have to want it. And if you want to be good at what you do, you want to be great at what you do, you, you don't sit there wanting, you do. And you keep doing and you don't quit until uh, until you get better. And then you keep trying to get better. And I'm I still learn stuff. And I'm not as good as I could be, I don't think. I, I'm, if I ever get where I think I'm as good as I'm going to get, I ought to quit. Because why? I mean, look, every time you pick up that chisel, you have to make that chisel do what you want it to. And so when you look at my work, what you see is a recording in steel of how good I was that day, right then at that second. Because it doesn't matter all the stuff I've done up to that. The 44 years that I've worked at that make no difference on how that recording looks. It's got to be that recording that's good. You understand what I mean? I do. Yeah, and so if I'm not on my A game, and if I'm not doing my best, I mean, it's going to suck.
2: I I, 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 I understand. I understand that completely. And you hear that a lot, right? That's the common thing to say. And I say it, a lot of guys in the hot rod industry say it is that when you stop learning, like it's time to hang it up. Yeah. I think you're a yeah. rare exception to that, that like, you truly are the best, like it, what you've mastered your right. craft, you know, like there's, there's nobody that I know in like the car building, metal shaping, you know, Troy's probably as close as it gets. To being like, yeah, I wish they, he would he probably should hang it up. So he's probably <laughs> yeah. he's not learn To anything truly else. say that they've mastered a craft. And I get it. I mean there's always a next step, but man, from and it from the outside looking in, that is the yeah, artistry. You, it is sure.
3: unbelievable. Well, I, I think you're talking to Josh about that.
2: No, no, <laughs> no I would I I don't be the speak, polar opposite. I don't speak <laughs> He doesn't, he doesn't say any
0: nice
3: things to me uh, whatsoever. I'd, so. I'd have
2: told Josh to hang it up years ago for different reasons. Not <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, because when I was, as I was listening to that, I was thinking, wow, Josh is really good then. Um, <laughs> no, 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 than, no, not at all. No. <laughs> no, yeah. And no, listen, um, I appreciate that. But dude, there are people that are way, way, way better than me. And I, my hat's off to them. I'll look up to them and uh, admire, uh, I study engraving, uh, a lot of engraving from the old masters that are gone to the current guys that are working now. And I see stuff now that just is extremely inspiring. And so inspiring all- is
0: inspiring is great. Inspiring is, is one thing that inspiring. But at the same time, you can't like quantify the greatness of the art of engraving, just like you can't quantify the The greatness of the art of anything you know it's not like this is why is somebody the best painter of you know whatever it's because it maybe evoked the most emotion from a broader range of people or what like you have your style other engravers have their style we started this podcast off talking about and i told you your style is my favorite his style is your favorite right We love that style. You have mastered your art, and that is the art of Weldon Lister and your style of engraving. So could you lay out every engraver's works of art and measure with a microscope, you know, the lines and the radiuses and the curvatures and and come up with the guy that made the least amount of mistakes? But who cares? Yeah. Who
3: cares? You know, I think it's... uh Um, you know there's Baskin Robbins has how many flavors of ice cream you know because there are a lot of people who like a lot of different things but uh, um, I appreciate you guys for liking what I do I really do and um, uh, I I don't know I'm almost at a loss for words I don't know exactly what to say because (laughs) it's like uh, um, you know we all want to be good at something I guess uh, that's within us we want to you know, we want to feel like we're making a difference in doing something. And so, in my instance, I guess it's making a difference on a real small scale of uh, minutia, but um, it's a skill set that people admire and they like. And um, some people love what I do; some people could care less. Um, and that's among people who engrave. And so, but what I have been able to do is make an identifiable uh, style in that in that regard. Yep. And uh, good, bad, or ugly. Here it is well it's you
0: know? interesting and we'll we'll get into our standard questions because i know we're, we got to be respectful this time but it's interesting when you said something about it, it doesn't matter how bad you want it you've got to do right and you hear you hear it so many times from great athletes or uh motivational speakers you know how i made it blah, blah blah i just wanted it more than anybody else i just i just wanted it more i just wanted it and but that want they they worked harder because they wanted it more right the the wishing and the wanting doesn't really do anything except it can be your fuel for pushing through those late nights or the 24 hours straight or doing whatever you've got to do. But the wanting in and of itself, it doesn't matter how bad you want it. You could really, really, there's so many things I really, really, really want. But if I don't do anything about it, ain't nothing going to happen, right? And pardon my French, but that's my my granddad saying all the time, you can shit in one hand and wish in the other and see which one fills up better, you know, faster. (laughs) and that's the key sure. you you could wish all night long about something if you don't ever do anything if you don't take the first step and then the second step and the third step and then utilize that that full tank of wish to when you take the fourth or fifth step and you're like oh man this is hard yep. like this sucks then go back to that wish tank and you're like oh remember i really 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 want it all right then take the next step and take the next step that's yeah, just it's interesting like you talked about it it's, the Want doesn't mean anything, it's the do,
3: yeah, that's it. And uh, it sounds kind of Yoda ish, right? You know, it's not the want, it's the do. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it is true, and it's about perseverance, it's about drive and desire, and uh, uh sticking with something. And uh, that can those words can apply to anything, whether you're learning the cello in an orchestra or you know, um, play in a sport, you know, what what you see. And like I was saying earlier, you see the, the result, the recording of me that time in my life, right then, you know, it's cut in steel. It's like a record that's cut in steel. You see that. And that is the result of the fears of practice. Yeah. Of, of the working past the suck point because, yeah. and it sucks sometimes. And so where, you know, later on, as I began to sculpt faces and animals and stuff like that, my dad would say, look, because I would get somewhere. I'm like, "Ah, this looks like shit. You know, excuse <laughs> me. He <laughs> says, Son, you, you got to work past that point. He said, they all do. But that's, that's the steps on the way to getting it finished. Yep. You don't quit there. You keep going. Because it's real discouraging after you've worked hours and hours and hours and you look at it and you're going like, oh my it's getting worse, you know, Something I think it doesn't look like an elephant. It looks like, yeah, I don't know what, but right. anyway, so his point was valid. You know, you keep pushing through and you keep on working and you must understand. And so, hey, a lot of times it's a reflection of what our lives are like. You know, sometimes our lives look really bad and it's crap, but if you keep pushing through and you keep working, you get on the other side of that and then you reap the reward and the harvest of all those hard times that you go through. It's like initially we're talking about the lion with all the scars. Well, you know, took some biting to get on the other side of that and he's carrying the scars, but, uh, you know, he's where he's at because of that. So, so yeah, that's my philosophical load of BS for the day. So
2: (laughs) that is some solid information right there. I mean, that is, that's what people remember, you know, well, yeah. Now,
0: now we reach the time where we ask the standard questions we ask every single guest. Um, so best piece of advice you've ever received.
3: Um, boy, that, uh, best piece of advice I I've ever received. Apparently i listened listen pretty closely because it sticks out. No, no. Um, <laughs> you know, um, do your best, I think is what my dad said, do your best, no matter what you're doing, try to do your best. And that doesn't mean, you know, that, that was the advice, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to be the best at everything, but to try it's to be the best, yeah. my best, doing my best. And so what I want you to see when you look at my work is my best. I'm not trying to be somebody else. I'm trying to do the best weld lister I can be
0: when I'm in grade well yeah, awesome. lucky Do for yourself. you your best is the best so that's <laughs> <laughs> congratulations well, there <laughs>
2: and, and I think through, throughout this podcast there will be somebody out there listening assuming there's people listening there's a that, couple that will pull something from this podcast that you have said because yep. it, it's been unbelievable yeah that will use that as their best piece of advice there's been about 5 Fish. or 10 things you yes. brought up
1: that have been phenomenal piece of advice and just kind of words to live by throughout this whole podcast. Yeah. Right.
3: Well, yeah. I So appreciate thank, so thank I, you for that. I, well, absolutely guys, y'all are too kind. Um I did hear that again. Uh, I studied with the uh, engraver Winston Churchill and uh, same name as a British prime minister but uh, <laughs> <Different> Winston. <guy. laughs> yeah, obviously like a uh, different guy. <laughs> Anyway, Winston was a, a fabulous, uh, it, it, there's world class and then there's like universe class. And I think Winston was probably the, the, in the universe class of engraver and he just recently passed away. And uh, but I had the opportunity to spend a week with him, uh, with a bunch of other guys in the GRS Grand Masters class. One of the things that Winston said stuck out to me and it was almost identical to what my dad said. And it was do your best work it doesn't matter if it's on a very small piece or a super elaborate thing. Always do your best work. Don't do ho hum work just because it's not a major piece. Always do your best work. And I thought, wow, that's really profound advice because I think sometimes maybe we think, well, it's not a big deal, you know. So ah, just whatever. That wasn't Winston's attitude. His attitude was, no matter what the size of the thing, you do your best. Always do your best. And that, I think, is advice that we can all live by, because it doesn't matter what we're doing if we try to do our best at it. Um, Hey, you know, I've had clients tell me, look, I know my piece isn't a big thing. And I stop them. I'm like, yes, it is. It is to me. It may not be a super elaborate thing, but it's just as important to me as your other, you know, bigger projects. So don't worry about that. They're valid. They're important. That's awesome. So do your best work.
0: Uh, next up, best car movie and why? Best car movie.
2: Well, there's, uh, there's no engraving movies, so we've got to pick a car. There's gun movie. movies
0: too, <laughs> yeah. but uh, he, he's a
3: car guy. He's, he's, he's made references. Yeah. We need to work on that. Really? The, <laughs> No engraving movie thing is <laughs> kind of it just really made me mad. <laughs> <laughs> <Because it's, laughs> there <needs to> <laughs> yeah, there's what? What the heck? Yeah, yeah. right. Um, so I'm thinking of one, and I'll tell you in a minute. But um, I don't know. This is going to sound lame, but uh, Back to the Future, because when this baby hits 88 <laughs> miles an hour, you're going to see some serious. shit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's this not lame, dude. This that's, is a second reference.
3: Yeah, yeah, yes. Oh, oh
2: that's all. It's sitting solid. There. Yeah. Doc. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that made a lot of kids interested in cars, mm-hmm. that movie.
3: Yeah. I'm just waiting for the uh, flux capacitor, the uh, the uh, Mr. Fission version of it, you know, <laughs> so they can throw in some banana peels and garbage yeah. and run on it. So We're getting I close, it might be I think. Better technology than some <laughs> yeah. of the stuff that they've come up with. But, uh, but yeah, that and um, let me think. Um, it's a Clint Eastwood movie that's a close second. It's it's the car movie that he did, and boy, I can't think of the name of that. Gran sure Torino? You all...
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Great movie. That, that it was
3: was really phenomenal... wasn't a car movie.
0: No, but it, yes, that counts. 100% counts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great movie.
2: When he yanks out those pistols. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you, he just... Nobody plays, Damn. like... And that movie in particular, and I mean, a lot of ones he's done as he's gotten older, it's so funny because it's...
2: It's Clint old. Eastwood.
0: It's old Clint Eastwood being an old badass, and that's You're exactly right. what yeah. that's exactly what he is. It's just
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. him. <laughs> it's like timeless, timeless yeah. badass. Yeah. yeah, he is awesome. Um,
0: good, I mean, you could good movie. You could have done Gran Torino, basically as. This is what happens as Dirty Harry gets old, and it's just old Dirty Harry living. Right, you know, exactly. exactly, it's exactly what it was. And you're like, he probably yeah, he's
3: retired now. Been. Yeah, he's
0: retired, Dirty Harry, and he's living by himself. But
2: still, don't mess with him.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they shouldn't have. I mean, they kind of learned. What?
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, learned uh, the hard way.
0: Yeah, great, that's great a, reference.
2: That is a good one. Yeah, and I'm surprised that's the first time that's come up. That's a good yeah. pull. And he does.
0: Honestly, Clint Eastwood movies get are not. They don't give get their due because as badass as they are, or whatever he still will make a grown man just enough to turn away from your wife and be like, "It's not, it's just allergies."
2: Yeah, like, what is, no, It's a sun? It's
0: just, it's just yeah, God, that's, that's, that's just so a ridiculous. little. What are you talking about? It's not yeah. on awesome emotions. You know, go shoot somebody again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. does. He's had some. He's had some sappy ones. Man. I like.
2: I like a Clint Easton movie.
0: Yeah, sure, absolutely. What was the one? I just watched it again for like the three hundredth time. Uh, with. Gene Hackman. Uh Unforgiven. Right? Oh yeah. Unforgiven. Yeah, just watched yeah. it again. Uh I'm a a I'm a sucker for Westerns. I I'll watch two or three Westerns every weekend. Just whatever I can find. Specific, the, quick,
3: the quick and the dead.
0: Oh, the quick and the dead. Yeah. Uh <laughs>
3: damn. Tombstone is one of my favorites. Yeah.
0: Tombstone is That's I think the number we, one spot. We probably yeah. do tombstone quotes three or four times a day, yeah, every easily. day, all the time um if tombstone's one of my favorite i like uh, the outlaw josie wales though is probably mm-hmm. one of my favorites of all uh, yeah. outlaw josie wales is really really good but unforgiven the other day yeah. unforgiven is a, a phenomenal movie yeah uh, him yes. and morgan freeman and they're again it's kind of like the old badasses like they're like oh I, we're old we used to be bad but i guess we gotta we can go show these whippersnappers what it's about
2: i think tombstone and the quick and the dead are the that's the number one. We the, two of the for, me. Good. for ever.
3: We, we never did be, a, never a. I got two guns, one for each of your shirt. I'll just send, <laughs> send you guys one. I'll send you one of those shirts. Um, I actually met Bill Paxton at, uh, really? at at yeah at the Alamo, and uh, uh, the History Channel did a series called Texas Rising. and uh, so I did some awards for him They were like four inches in diameter, big giant Texas Ranger badges made out of silver in. Uh, so we got invited to the premiere, which was shown uh, a big part of it was shown at the Alamo um, wow. in, in front of the Alamo, right where it happened. And it was kind of a surreal time because we were watching the Battle of the Alamo on a giant screen sitting on the ground where it actually happened. And so, man, it was like a mind blowing time. And uh, after that, they had a big party on the grounds and, uh, uh got to visit with bill paxton for a little bit and he was super super nice guy uh That's left cool. way too soon but we actually discussed tombstone and he said um uh, <laughs> actually when i met him uh you know he knew what i had done because they discussed it when they were giving the presentations out so he knew who it was and um i said hey i just i just want to tell you something i said i want you clothes, close your boots and your motorcycle <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, uh, beep, you asshole. It is best Arnold thing. And so, man, we started dying laughing, and, and then we had a really good conversation talking about um, Tombstone. I said, you know, uh, the reason I brought that reference up is Paxton was in the first Terminator movie. And uh, you may have missed him, but there's yeah. a scene where – Terminator comes up to these guys that are horsing around looking through this, you know, telescope thing, looking at LA, I think they're up on a hill. And there's this dude with like spiked hair that's blue or purple. It's Bill Paxton. No way. Yeah. Yeah. You have to watch for him. And so, I mean, he knew immediately what I I was talking about. The quote actually came from the next one, but he got it. And uh, Hmm. I think he, in that one, he says, I want you to give me your clothes, you know, because he's just come here and he doesn't yeah. have any clothes and that's where he gets the leather jacket and stuff yeah yeah so paxton is one of those dudes and uh, so we had a good laugh over that and then uh he said you know uh, i was just in the studio and kurt russell was across the hallway finishing up a movie he's working on and we were talking about tombstone the whole time we visited and he goes it's both of our favorite movie and uh, he said still and i said man i said you you saw kurt he said yeah I said, tell, tell Kurt hi. He said, well, do you know Kurt? I said, no, but tell you him hi. hi. Tell
2: him <laughs> hi. Anyway, Kurt Russell's a badass. <laughs> tell so him I him like- him like- yeah. tell him Kurt Russell uh, and Death Proof. See, that, oh, yeah, that's
1: yeah, a, that good a good car movie. movie. It's a yeah. great yeah. car movie. Nobody brought that. Big trouble. That's in a little Nova, China. isn't it?
3: Yeah. It's a Nova. Yeah, isn't it?
2: You're damn right. It's
3: a Nova. <laughs> 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 that was a good one. So you want to get esoteric and talk about car movies? There's a John Wayne movie, believe it or not. I want to say it's Brannigan. And he gets in a Camaro, that this guy in a garbage truck, like, accordions, and smashes like the crap. Really? Yeah, and oh, he, he, is, he yeah. ends up escaping. Yeah, but uh, I think it's Brannigan or it's there's another one. There were two like, they were kind of casting John Wayne and some other roles other than westerns, you know, along in that part and. Huh. It's hard to see him you know in england being a detective because yeah, like, yeah. there's got to be a horse in here somewhere yeah <laughs> you know, just kind of weird but hey i love john wayne doesn't matter whether it's hatari um, <laughs> you know that kind of stuff right
0: man it's been amazing we're we and honestly we are I'm absolutely sure. doing this again a hundred percent we are we've got so much we've got a we like we could just honestly, we made, make this like maybe a monthly thing. Yeah. It's just oil and whiskey with Weldon. <laughs> right. Once a month, we well, just yeah. sit down and oil, whiskey and yeah. engraving.
3: I think you, you guys are way more exciting than I am. Well, um, I, don't know about you, that. I do have to tell you a couple of things though. Yeah. I, I mentioned you to uh, my cousin's husband, uh, Chris Shuler, who has uh, Bernie stage customs. And he said, oh. oh man, he goes, we use their frames all the time. You know, cool. we know them well. Oh. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so he was, I told him, hey, I'm supposed to be on a podcast with these guys. He goes, oh man. So he pulls his phone out and he's like, see this? This is one of their frames. See that? That's one of their
4: frames.
3: Yeah. Cool. Awesome. I, I love it. Yeah. And uh, I, I want to say thank you for wearing one of our shirts right uh,
0: here and yeah. represent yeah. yeah. shirt. one of my favorite shirts. I yeah, can't also, tell you how many also, comments I get. You know wearing this because it's, it's a great shirt just, i mean obviously it's a 1911 but it's an engraved 1911 where else are you going to get a shirt like that i can't afford right. the gun so she i got the shirt. the shirt shirt <laughs> right yeah. i am i'm telling you hopefully one day i don't know how soon but one day i'm going to be able to call up my buddies nick and eli from cabot guns
2: drop ship that i'm going to have i'm going to have Word a cabot
0: drop ship to you and I'm gonna. I'm it. not gonna be like the other guy and be like, no budget. I'm gonna be like, hey, dude, like, what can you do? And like, like you just put uh, my initials. <laughs> my initials. on put the bottom. Really.
3: <laughs> on the bottom. <laughs>
2: hey,
0: go crazy on like my initials. My initials.
3: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we can do that. Um, you know, back when I was a kid, uh, my favorite car. I had a couple, um, and my first car was a '65 Chevy pickup that I paid 475 bucks for. And it was a rolling POS, I kid you not. But I worked on that thing, uh, rebuilt the engine twice, uh, you know, worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, sold it. And then I ended up getting a uh, a 68 AMC Javelin. Ooh. And it had a 304 uh, Carter four barrel. It was an automatic transmission, but factory dual exhaust. And buddy boy, that thing weighed about 100 pounds and its power to weight ratio was kicking. Man, it, it, it was fast. And... Uh, so I had a lot of fun with that car, but I had a friend of mine that liked it better than me. And so we traded, and that's when I got a 71 blazer. And I man, mm. I love that blazer. And I've had, I don't know how many blazers I've owned over over time, but I think you and I, uh, Josh, we we talked about that. And 71 would be my thing. So when whenever I get a, a cabot in the mail, You'd be
0: looking for a seventy one blazer as well. <laughs>
3: that's probably about an
0: even trade. Yeah.
2: Roadster shop seventy one blazer build. Cabot fully it, it doesn't
3: have to be a hot rod. It you know, it just, just has to be a good get. yeah. Yeah. A nice seventy one blazer. I mean, that's a vintage thing, man. You could take the top off, the whole top oh, yeah. comes. By. Yeah.
2: I've, I've been looking for one wife, for a while. I, yeah, Phil's a yeah, fan.
3: My wife and I were dating at the time and we would ride around with a top off uh forever. And uh, just had a lot of fun. I and just, and I, uh, I just now we thought been, I
0: couldn't afford the gun, but now I'm, it's a '71 Blazer. I, I know what those grow. I definitely yeah. can't afford a new
4: '71 yeah. Blazer. <laughs> yeah, <you> know, <laughs> those true. things are crazy yeah.
3: right now. Yeah, man, it's, it's just nuts. It, it really is. It's crazy on those and old Broncos and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. It's just absurd. But uh, now I, I married the girl, and we've been married 43 years. So congratulations, congratulations dude. Yeah, I didn't keep the Blazer. But I kept the chick. So <laughs> nice move. <laughs> <It'll work out. laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry, a, I talked so much, guys. Oh no, man, no, this has been great. This has
2: been an absolute blast. I can't tell you how honored we are. And so, this was
0: where, unbelievably where can, where cool. Where can people get this shirt? AmericanScrollInc.com, right?
3: Yeah, AmericanScrollInc.com. American Let's you get, get some you.
2: shirts, guys. Yeah, get on there.
0: Don't get this shirt. Oh, get buy the shirt, yeah. but you know. Maybe a There's, different color. Maybe a different. Right. Just yeah, I want. <laughs> I want the only one. Every we all got to have the only one, right? No, you do have. You got new stuff coming out all the time. Um, they can check yeah. you out on Instagram at American Scroll, and then uh, your personal is what at Weldon Lister, right?
3: That's it. That's my personal account, and uh, you know I post stuff. I used to have a website, but I don't anymore. I really don't uh, actively seek engraving commissions on firearms anymore because I have so much of a backlog to work on, and uh, that's what I spend most of my time doing. And uh, I don't know. Um, can you show guns on your podcast? Yeah, I guess you can. Absolutely yeah. can.
0: We can do whatever we want to.
3: It's your podcast. I sure think. is. Yeah. So oh wow.
4: Here's
3: that's one a I current just. Work. Yeah, it's this is a uh, Colt Texas Ranger commemorative. I don't know if you can read it or not on the barrel. I can't really. My screen is so small. I can't see. But uh,
2: what's it say on the barrel?
3: Anyway. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, I love the, the Texas Te- the Ranger Rangers. star on that. Yeah. The,
2: how much awesome. harder is
1: it to do a gun like that where everything is round and contoured versus a 1911?
3: It's all in your head. It really is. And so, uh, you know, I was fretting about that one day when I was learning and my dad said, son, just think about it where the point of the chisel is it's flat. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> thanks, Dad. <laughs> so gonna, yeah. I can do this. And so, um, so, yeah, uh, actually, in, in reality, round is a little bit tougher because um, the chances of slipping are greater. And so what you want is just the same thing that you want in any other. When you're using a tool, you want a sharp tool. You don't want a dull one. So dull tools get you hurt. Uh, they'll m- easier to make mistakes with. And uh, so make sure your tools are sharp. Make sure you're on your A game and uh, know know what you're doing. And so... I have enough experience to, um, if I make a mistake, I'm the only one that knows it, you know, cause I know how to fix it. And uh, being a master at anything doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. It means you're, you're the only one know that knows you did. You know? <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it takes it. you longer to cover up that hole that you made than, than it would have taken if you hadn't messed up. But,
0: uh, we're going to get your son on here next time.
3: Yeah, I think so. I, I really wanted him to be here, and you know, we had this scheduled, and then you guys were out of town, and so we rescheduled. And yeah. when we did that, I didn't realize um, one of my grandsons plays football on Thursday night, and they're at home tonight. And I thought, well, I'm not going to tell oh, y'all. Man. Like, you all. Know, I
0: feel really bad now. I'm glad you <laughs> yeah, told us that at the you end, end, for end that. versus that. the beginning makes me no, feel no,
3: good. No, but anyway, that's why he's not here because yeah, uh, more important uh, he'll be now I, I wanted to be on here with you guys. Uh, it was, it's a great honor to me that, uh, to think that with all of the fabulous guests you've had on your show, you would want to have me on. That's very, very humbling. And so thank each of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we and, appreciate uh,
2: it. And thank you for coming awesome. on. We no, had it, an absolute and, blast. It's been an yeah. honor. It's been a blast. I wouldn't
3: have, I wouldn't have missed it. So, uh, um, that's why Billy's not here. Next time I, I told him, I said, Hey, we're going to do the podcast. So, you know, be here and all that. And, uh,
0: well, what we're going to try to do, let's try to figure out a way. We'll, we'll talk off uh, air uh, in a few weeks. So let's try to figure out a time maybe towards the end of the year and get you and your son out here in studio, okay. maybe with some guns, and yeah. you can kind of show us that stuff. And we'll then we'll do a deep dive. Now that we've kind of gotten to know each other, we'll do a deep dive into the art, the craft, and, and yeah, give us some pointers.
3: Let's do it. We'll bring a vice and set it up on the end of your big table there. Don't and,
0: tease uh, us with a good time. <laughs> let's do it.
3: Perfect. And that way we can all uh, we can have a, a sip of uh, whatever it is you're sipping. We'll on. will have
0: something. We'll have something <laughs> real special.
3: Smoke a cigar and uh, engrave yep. some stuff. Done. And, uh, we'll think it's fabulous until the next morning when we look at it and go, oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're sold. <laughs> uh, well, then it's honestly it's been an absolute blast. Yeah, thanks, Everybody, go man. check out at American Scroll on Instagram or at, Amer- at blah, 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 American Scroll dot com. Check out the shirts.
3: Appreciate it. Thank you. See you, man. Thank you very much. Take okay. care, man. Thanks, guys. Y'all all right. have a great time. You too.
0: Thanks. Uh, well, I think we can all agree. Massive thanks to Weldon Lister. Make sure you check them out on Instagram at American Scroll or at Weldon Lister. But seriously, go. Let's yeah, go sell. Let's, let's go sell them out of shirts. Sell them out of shirts. Uh, it's time for whiskey review time. What time is it?
2: Whiskey review time.
0: Time for whiskey review. We have two because we've done such a poor job of reviewing whiskey. We're gonna do a review two of them tonight. Dun, dun, dun. Silence, somebody mm. break the silence. Somebody break the silence.
2: So, we have, doing, well, we've, doing. we've struggled it. a little bit because we've made our way through just about everything on the shelf. There's very few unopened bottles. But it is bourbon season again. It, it is. So it's bur- bourbon hunting season is upon us. It's and been crazy lately. Fortunately, Phil brought two new bourbons that nobody's tried to the table. Where did these come from? Where were these procured? Liquor store. These were
1: procured at uh, two different liquor stores. Am I driving around with okay
2: day? So Old Elk always... Delivers. So Garfield's
0: Beverage and Liquor Beverage Beverage Warehouse. If you're going to buy them, Garfields, that's li- where you should get them. Liquor because there's
2: probably a store pick or something like that. But
0: Garfield's Liquors,
2: Old Elk always solid.
1: Kentucky Ten, I've never heard of it before, so I got duped on it. Uh, Kentucky Ten thought it was a ten year. Says we did. It was in the special case. It was only thirty twenty nine dollars. I'm um, gonna. I First call, off, I
2: called that though. When, this
1: yeah.
0: has nothing to do with the taste. We're going to get to review. It pisses me off when people just put random numbers for no reason yeah. because it does that shit where you're like, "Oh, it's a ten year."
2: Yeah. Which well, is the, well, that's the entire reason just, they did it. I, yeah, like I, it's, I know it's, <laughs> but it's fucking stupid, sons of bitches. Yeah, it's stupid. At, at any rate, I'll say that although the marketing is very deceptive, it's good. Yeah. I, it's, it's actually really good.
0: Completely not what I was expecting.
2: No. Well, here, in the fine print on the back, aged a minimum of two years in New Oak. Okay, so it's uh, it's light proof, right? 90 proof. Um, it's good. I really like that. That's a solid drinker. That's a definite buy it. I don't know where I'd rate it. I don't
0: know. Back those up, though.
2: You say hit back one, hit the other? Yeah. it's. I mean, it's light. Mm-hmm. You know, It is light. Doesn't
0: have the legs, as they say, but it does not have that young. Shitty taste.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> in mean, great way of saying it
2: <laughs> as your boy Palatine Mike, could say, I say the old elk dunks on the Kentucky 10. Does it dunk or does it slap? It's slap. Well, I don't know. You <laughs> tell me. I'm not sure we have to bring
1: <laughs> someone bring who's it. 30, 35 years old in to give us a.
2: Say. At definition it, on that at any rate, if I saw that Kentucky 10 for the price point, that's a buy it, you know, oh, it's, absolutely it's a buy it. I think
1: it's a super deal for that price of the yeah. 29, $35,
2: whatever it was. Yeah. Um, tough to rate it though. Cause it, 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 it's just an easy drinker. Like a, it's a conversation, uh, Urban, you just kind of like throw that there, hanging out with some. I'd
1: throw it like a Buffalo Trace, one hundred percent. That's like exactly where I was going. That's a great, drinker smooth, like a
2: drink it. Good call, one hundred percent.
0: And it's a little bit more unique than a buff Trace. And yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a that's a six eight for me.
2: I, I was going 6.9 nine.
1: Seven zero. Oh. So I was excited when I found it and thought it was a ten. That's good. It's that's a, a, it's, a nice.
2: That's a nice little cluster there. Yeah, it's a tight really, cluster.
0: Uh, having, I've never seen if we it. were to, if we were to drink We've it. Never seen it before either. In full disclosure, had we drunk the drink that by itself tonight,
2: probably would have rated higher. Probably
0: got point two more.
2: Yeah, but the going to get old elk fucking crushed it.
0: Oh, the, sure. the old elk, Akeem Elijah Wan, <laughs> junk in the face, <laughs> dunked over, on
2: over the top, big yeah.
0: sky hook. Yeah, this is uh, this is Elijah Juan on Muggsy Bogues dunking. So that's just wow. full blown. Yeah, not in my <laughs> house.
2: Oh, that's Dikembe comeback, Yeah, it's Dikembe. That was not a dunk either. That was a block. That was, that was, block. A, that was a, the Hey, roll, he's right? in the
0: right
1: sport. I mean, I'm there, him, all right. that's yeah. not bad for me. Basketball. right sport, right era. Yes, that's those are two positives, right? That's <laughs> a three-pointer for you. Indeed, slam yeah, that's outside. <laughs> yeah,
2: slam dunk, as they say. Right. You know what? Cheers, fellas. Cheers, the old elk. This was another one of uh, Phil's contributions here. Eight-year. Weeded. Wheeded. This is this kicks ass.
0: That's the yeah. old elk has always fought above its weight class. It has. But we this, we whew.
2: we expressed our gripes with it getting a little too much like the barrel bourbon where they need to change the damn bottle. Because they've got so many and they're all good. So I'll say that because they've got their you know, they're different weededs, their cigar blends, their single barrels, they're everything in it's the only way you could tell the difference is that one little yeah. sticker.
0: You could read.
2: <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I know. You had, it read. is. That's I, the sticker you I have agree to read. With you. But I agree like, with you. I like, I like a.
1: Yep. This one's the same logo as the regular weed, it's just a little eight next yep. to it. Weller, Weller,
0: for it's all the things the they do bad, right? In the way they do things.
1: What do they do bad? Uh, they, they,
0: they fuck around with the market a little bit, right? Let's be honest. They,
1: I they, think they, you fuck around with the Weller market. Yeah, Josh. No, i No. You fuck the Weller
2: market. You've impacted the Weller market single-handedly.
0: Seems, no, I have
1: not. In the,
2: locally, you have. In That'd the Chicagoland definitely. area, you have... Fucking, that would be my wife. Yeah. she's take. She
0: takes full blame for that. Does she? I just reap the benefits. Is she walking funny? She,
2: <laughs>
0: with what she came home with last week, she... <laughs> she need to put an ice pack on it. I can't <laughs> say yeah, you. Yeah, don't... Yeah, good yeah. for her. Yeah, but good. anyway, this is... class up the end of that issue. But yeah. <laughs> to is... my point, Weller has the same exact logo, the same exact label, but they change the colors, right? So you know from afar what's there. The old elk, right. I get the fact that they want everything branded the same. It is difficult, especially when they've got the amount of expressions that they've got now. I mean, at the, at the liquor store the other day, there I guarantee there was like... Fifteen or sixteen really? of the different ones. Yeah,
2: it's it's been a minute since I've had any Old Elk. I do love just about everything they do. Not a huge fan of the Infinity Blend. Infinity Blend's pretty hot. Yeah, it was too hot for me. You were a huge fanboy on I that one. I did like it. I did like it a lot. But I'm gonna say, without recently having any other other releases, this is this could be my favorite of what they've got. I'm with you, and I'm gonna hit that at like a seven eight. I think it's good. I was going 775. I think it's really good. Like a good round number. Yep. Yeah. Big fan. Yeah. Great.
1: Great yeah. bourbon.
0: Uh, One of the best ones I've had in a while. I'm mm. going 7, 8 as well. I'm excited. So we haven't tried the cigar blend yet. What's the proof? Of and Do you, and you have it? I, we all three have it. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's <laughs> Grant,
2: Grant, you had it first. I haven't,
0: <laughs> I haven't tried it. Phil did have it first. Uh, I, I just wanted to rub it in your face if you didn't have it because I didn't no, think you'd. I, I do have it. I've got the 10-year of that we Ooh. did as well, so I'm anxious to try that and see.
2: Is that hard to get? Is this something that's, like, allocated? or? Uh, I don't know. It was Garfield's a beverage warehouse. a yeah, was liquor m- emporium, we'll glass case deal. You said 775? Yep.
0: 7-8. I just like sticking to a solid quarter numbers. I know you do you make it a little more difficult for me to write. I'm sorry. This is a
2: That's a buy two of them. I'd stick two of this? those eighty on the bucks. Seventy?
0: Yeah.
1: 80, 90 I think.
2: Mm. That's a spend. It's been a yet. while since okay. we've killed
0: one. They've got a uh <laughs> it is. A, so you keep going back to them. They've got a uh something else that was sherry cask finished that was a it was age statement as well.
1: Uh, I got one of the old cherry casks and I didn't like it that much.
0: Uh, maybe it was port wine. It was something. It was eight. It was a newer one. It was age okay. statement. That was a finished. Um, I tell you what, we're going to get a little tired of asking for him to be on the podcast. <laughs> honestly, have you uh, asked? Yeah, we've asked about four five, four fucking times. I'll ask a fifth and that'll be <laughs> the end. I don't
2: ask six times.
0: Did I? Greg did, Metz. Did, Do you, you know, know
2: anything about this guy? No, but I'll tell you that now that it's, the finish is horrible as it, as like the initial taste is great, but it's starting to like the, the Oh, tannins, after you know tannins. that he's not going to be on the podcast. It's <laughs> so like, yeah, that. it almost like a rubbery kind of like, yeah, I almost feel like I need to regurgitate it. So this dude, this dude really is
0: Greg Metz is a, uh, that's the master distiller, but the guy that <clears throat> owns old elk and his name escapes me right now. Tells you how many times I've wrote that email. Uh, <laughs> He, he's a, he's, he's an interesting story. So he was the one that, uh, started he's life proof. Otterbox. It could be that one. Yeah, It's that one. Was it Otterbox? Yeah. All right. So Otterbox. Otterbox.
1: You sure? I'm pretty sure. I don't think he's coming on the podcast either way. Now.
0: We, the, all this could be edited out. We'll, right. we'll get to the part where we know what we're Dude, talking about.
2: Here's, here's one for you. Josh, if you want if you're going to be beating the bushes. Dan Callaway from Bardstown Bourbon. Okay. They did a uh, like a little bourbon seminar that was kind of like bourbon versus rise, at the uh, Bourbon and Beyond Fest. Pretty cool, dude. Had a lot of insight. Really? Yeah. Be a good good guy if you could. Uh, oh. Use your. Skills. I'd like to point this out. You're Who right. Was
0: correct. You're right. Hundred percent. Otterbox.
2: Otterbox, like the phone thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. He doesn't want to fuck around with this, dude. This Otterbox is a big deal. He's not doing Otterbox anymore. He's doing Old Elk. Yeah, he, he sold that. He, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, didn't give it money. away.
0: He didn't stop doing it. He fucking sold it. But he's got, a, he's got a great business, Old Elk. He's trying to promote it. I yeah. want to ta- talk to him. He's
2: floating around the Mediterranean right now. That's, not, that's, an, a, that's untrue. He's a big gun guy, too. Google image it, then. Kurt Richardson images.
0: Okay. There, there he is oh. right there. Look, he's right there on his fucking farm. Okay. He's got a huge okay. ranch, great bar well, then, out there. In, uh, the
2: Google Kurt Richardson yacht. <laughs> I'm telling <laughs> you, see what comes up. See what comes up. Let's see. And I could be wrong. He's, he's definitely not coming No. Up. That's a shh. <laughs> that's, yep. not,
0: that's not him. These are just yachts. Yeah, you can't just you, <laughs> can't just. you <laughs> can't just. These are just yachts. Anyway, thanks for listening to Oil and Whiskey. <laughs> Who did all right? So Kurt's never coming on. Right. Uh, what was the uh, guy you said from Bardstown?
2: Uh, Danny, let me pull this up. Danny Dan Calloway from Bardstown Bourbon Company, which Bardstown's a newer uh, distillery. I don't know if they distill their own. Yeah, they bourbon. do. I believe it's, they do. It's there's all, but, there, uh, It's not newer. Very well, is, very well yeah, spoken dude. He he gave this kind of seminar, kind of explaining. You know, what goes into a rye, what goes into a bourbon. It was enlightening. It was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, rye's got more rye than that's the name. Corn right. or wheat.
2: So yeah, if he wants to like he did a thing. He wants the, to slum it and come down to you know do something We'll, we'll like reach this. out. We can,
0: yeah. Dude, fuck if first of all, I don't give a fuck who they are. He could be the inventor of life proof, Otterbox, Tesla. I'm honestly Elon Musk doesn't hold a candle to Weldon Lister.
2: I agree. hundred percent. Elon Musk has how many stories do you think Elon Musk has about hanging out with Hank Jr.?
0: I'll go out on a limb.
1: I I'd would say, say zero. It's zero. What do you think? I could see one or two on Jr. None on Senior. Yeah, he is. <laughs> At, I'm, I, I, you could know, say he, he's got with the, the means. I could see it happening.
2: Hundred percent confidence. He has zero Hank Senior stories.
1: Yeah, hundred
2: percent.
0: Back to your point, I bet you there's a greater chance he has Hank Senior stories than he does have Hank Williams Jr. stories. But it's the frozen version. I bet you he's hanging <laughs> out with the cryogenically frozen Hank Sr.
2: You think hey I thought right. only John Wayne was frozen. That's what Dennis Leary said. <laughs> yep. Is <laughs> that the oh, yeah. more
0: people than that are frozen? Really? Yeah, there's there's yeah, like you entire the mountainsides that are carved out for frozen celebrities.
2: Get the fuck out of here. Who's frozen?
0: All kinds of famous people.
2: Like who? Other than John Wayne. And Other and, than John and Dennis Wayne? Dennis Leary said that, so it's a fact. Uh, Here comes the bullshit.
0: No, there's... Uh, <laughs> uh, what's the guy's name? Huh? With the... In the kind of... Oh, he was in Channing Tatum has a spot <laughs>
1: set up. He hasn't been frozen Channing yet.
2: Channing Tatum's got 50 years left. <laughs> in but him, he's, got, dude, he's, he's already young, bought a plot. He's a young man. He's bought man. a
0: plot in the Frozen celebrity... Where do you cream? come up with this shit? I'm Google it. I'm telling you, I'm there's a a an entire cabal.
2: It, that's honestly around frozen
0: celebrities. Frozen That's, celebrities. that's honestly something they I do tours. I will Not
2: Google.
0: You know. think I'm making that shit up? You don't think there's frozen celebrities out there?
2: I think they're. I think you. I think they're probably. You don't are. think they
0: store them in one place? No. It, for efficiency's sake, for how many <laughs> fucking freezers you're gonna have?
2: <laughs> you could absolutely do it in one. Google it. We have the fucking power of Google. Google it right now. It's only... There's Google it <laughs> Frozen celebrities. We got a direct
0: message <laughs> of the other day from a dude from Australia, and he says, it kills me every time that you all say nobody's listening I saw now. that. And he's like, am I the only one that's <laughs> <He's> listening? Like, <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Shout out to you right now. Yes. It's he's just lit, us four Hang He's
2: in. He's listening right now, so... Uh, what am I... So, frozen celebrities. You're the one that brought it up. This is the craziest thing to Google. List of people who arranged for cryonics. Yeah,
0: that's funny that they've already arranged for it. It's Wikipedia, this, dude.
2: There's probably... You could Google me and it'd probably be on Wikipedia. I'd Everything's on there.
0: Robin Hanson. Oh, Robin Darlene. Robin Hanson with an O. Seth, Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, MacFarlane, yeah. He looks frozen already. Uh, <laughs> or fake. Anders... Deceased, deceased people that have been chiropractor. Chiro well, those preserved. are yes. Yeah, so, all right, Dick Clare, Peter Eckersley, Robert. Yeah, look at all these fucking people. Dude, no, list. Ted Williams. Fuck you, Ted Williams. You don't even know nothing about Ted. He's Williams, a baseball player. Yeah, exactly. Remember the Ted yeah. Williams baseball card? No. It was. I, the, it was, that that was, that was. Or the Horace Grant. Uh, that was the only Horace yeah, Wagner. Wagner. When you, Honus Wagner. Not
2: right. Horace Horace Grant. Grant. We were trading. <laughs> me and Phil were trading Ken Griffey Jr. Rookie cards back yes, when we were kids. Yes, you and
0: the entire country, because they made two
2: fucking billionaires. Right, out. but when you were, were worth shit. shut the fuck up. When you were a kid, you were trading Ted Williams cards or Honus so Wagner, right. exactly, <laughs> or, or Horace Grant. Right. Hor- Horace Grant. <laughs> That's what, it was the, yeah. Yeah. yeah, famous. <laughs> yeah, he was. was he. Did you remember Horace Grant had a brother, like a twin brother,
1: <clears throat> Barry Grant. No, now no, he is a carburetor guy. <laughs>
2: Not famous for the six-shooter, though. Very great. He was
0: famous
1: Briefly.
2: for a failure. Briefly. For the six-shooter <laughs> as being
0: a fucking failure. We're going to go, hold on. Let's. We're, while we're, it's just us hanging out. Who was, uh... And whoever's having to edit what this. What are you looking at now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a shout-out to the guy that's the, uh... The, our sole listener oh, on the live
2: yeah, show. Yeah, the sole listener. Oh, I'm that's some air it. on
0: a three-wheeler right there.
2: Who sent that?
0: Who was it that sent that?
2: It was a comment on something. Oh, was it a comment? It was a comment. Okay. Uh no. Nope, keep scrolling. No, keep scrolling. It was uh oh. Yes.
0: So Devin underscore Keith underscore, right?
1: I don't trust him. He's got two first names.
2: Devin Keith? Yeah. He's got a fucking badass dually though.
0: Yeah, we're gonna follow him right now. We're following him back. So Devin underscore Keith underscore Everybody go follow him right now because it's just us four. We're yeah. worth doing it, and What's he's up? listening. What's up, Devin? <laughs> What's up, Devin? <laughs> is uh, that
1: considered a Ute if he's in Australia?
2: Is he in Australia?
0: Yeah, because in Australia.
2: Oh, that's cool.
0: I think. I don't know. Maybe I made that.
1: Yeah, deal. no, that no, was
2: just a hey, go back. It's tomorrow on in his, Australia. <laughs> or
1: click on his profile. Where did you come Underneath in? his name. Scroll up. NB. That's a Canadian flag, isn't it?
2: Fucking <laughs> me! <flag> it <in> a <laughs> hell did you? Maybe know-
0: he's not in Australia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I made that part up.
0: But that's he's not in. It's US. definitely not a youth. Then that is a Canadian flag, isn't it? <laughs> I can't see.
2: Pretty, flag. which for the listeners, very close <laughs> to the Australian <laughs> flags.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah, often confused. Yeah. I mean, did you think he looks Australian? Like maybe. any of the pictures did with you, all the did you, I gotta,
0: I'm a. It's a busy day. All right, I had lots of things going on. I, maybe I read two comments and mixed them together. I apologize. So somebody
1: else it, is listening I and commented. To it, Devin, Devin Devin's, into Keith some,
2: Devin's into some cool shit though. Look at that fucking quad cab. Yeah, GMC Dually. They're crew cabs. It's not a quad cab. I'm gonna be honest. There's a crew lot of pictures cab, of the kid. That's what
0: I said a lot of pictures of the kid.
2: Is it too many for you? Yeah. He's proud of his kid. He's he borderline borderline. too many pictures of this kid. You it's let it's save that for your wife. Let her it. post
1: those pictures. <laughs> it's a new kid. You okay? have one fan and you're shredding him. Right.
0: No, we're, st- we're hanging out. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to. He's not here. We're I ain't going to fake it. like My friends, we bust balls. Dude, right? look at
2: his fucking crib. Look at that. Oh, a man can dream. Yes, a man yeah, can, can. Sure dream.
0: can. Look at that.
2: Fucking Unit.
0: Yeah, he does have cool taste in some cars and trucks. Cooler than you do. Wonder that was back in the day, forty three weeks ago. Wonder if he regrets that Bud Light picture.
2: <laughs> I'm surprised he hasn't taken that down.
0: Yeah. Guess what? Next time we do an episode, it's just us three, because that fourth listener, he just lost no him more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Old Devin underscore Keith underscore is not listening no more.
2: Me and Phil are gonna send him some T-shirts or something to keep him, keep him as a listener. You're, you're insulting.
0: No, I'm. I, I wasn't insulting. I was being. We're hanging. You want to be part of the guys? We're gonna be fucking part of the guys, right? Okay. Not gonna fake it. Oh, Devin, super cool. Love your kid. Awesome <laughs> pictures of your cars.
1: Your friends bust balls. There's a trial
0: period though, where you got
1: to like be right. nice before you start being an asshole.
2: Exactly. It's years. It take that takes years. Yeah, you got to build doesn't take fucking years. I was Build the nice circle of trust. If you are wasting time. How you're long wasting I was, time. I was nice to you for how many years? Seriously. 0.2 years. So less than a year, <laughs> like four months, you're saying? Right. Basically three months. Right. So it doesn't take years. Okay. What if I you give, what
0: if you do a trial period with somebody and you give it three years? Yeah. And then you start cutting them and they're said, fuck this. I'm done. No more. You wasted 3 fucking years of your life to figure out the guy was a fucking pussy and couldn't take it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> point. Okay, point. duly noted.
0: 7.8, 7.75 and 7.8, two solid bourbons on Old Elk 6, 8 year weeded. 687069 on Kentucky 10. That's a uh, both buy it. Yep, absolutely. And seek it out for a 8 year. <clears throat> buy it in the Old Elk.
2: Buy two. So you don't feel bad drinking the. We'll water? get old Kurt
0: that. Richardson on here, from Otterbox, fucking over here, proof. <laughs> we'll take our phones and we can to shuck them
2: at the wall, you know. This guy. That's what they're known for, right? Those rugged phone yes. cases.
0: Yeah, thank you everybody. Thanks for hello for coming. Thanks for listening to Oil and Whiskey, <laughs> and Ironclad Original. If you like the show, you do the things that you feel like the show. Down there at the bottom, like, subscribe, send us a comment. We might talk about you on the podcast, and you won't His listen engine. anymore. Yeah, <laughs> Josh might
2: insult you and make you not a listener anymore. Stay
0: around next week. Stay around. Stick around. Wow, stay you ar- are murdering this <sighs> ending. Yeah. Josh, I've had too many whispers. He said "Have a you few too many Stick around. Names. We'll Maybe we'll see you next week. It's been a long week. Don't stay waiting.